Get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, save, retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. The opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Good morning, everyone. Happy Friday Eve. It is the opening drive on 101 ESPN. Randy Carricker, Kerry Davis, and the man who, if given the opportunity, would have been the number five winningest coach in the history of the NBA, Matthew Rocchio, with yeah, you he, he until did. 10 o'clock this morning. <laughs> Easily. Yeah. My chance isn't over yet, Randy. going to make a late charge. It's, it's 7 o'clock. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. So, uh, we got a, a text yesterday. Did you you sent that tweet originally? Didn't you, CD? Which tweet the, was the, it? Uh, the, the Michael? Jo- oh yeah, yeah the yeah. Carl jo- uh, the George Carl uh, yeah, tweet. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah I sent that. <laughs> so George Carl uh, tweeted a couple days ago that uh, if for th- for those that think Michael Jordan wouldn't be, pro- but let me back up here. Every day we have an argument in the in the office about Michael Jordan. Every single day, okay. It's always a bad. It's some some version of a basketball '90s versus 2000, yeah, yeah. Uh, 20 version of basketball, and, and it every happens. Day. It happens essentially every day. Yeah. It's usually Rock and I going back and forth about uh, whether Patrick Ewing is better than Rudy Gobert. <laughs> but you know, it, it, to, to to each his own. And yesterday, it got so loud that BK actually yelled at uh, at Rocky for being too. So anyway, George Carl tweets the other night, anyone who's debating Michael's GOAT status doesn't realize he would average a 40-point-per-game triple-double in the modern game. Uh, Kerry sends that Texas to that. Matthew says, I saw that last night, and I think you guys know what my initial reaction was. I texted, let me guess, yeah, but I know more than the guy who's the sixth winningest coach in NBA history. Close, but not 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 quite. It's not what I'm saying. Saying ish, some something like saying the old heads are biased. That's all I'm saying. Maybe they're just being realistic, or maybe they just know. I I mean, that's a possibility, right? The quality of the NBA has fallen off that drastically. No, I think the quality of Michael Jeffrey Jordan is that much greater than you will ever. But he never a forty-point triple-double when he He said in this version of the game. Has the game fallen off? Before we get to the show, okay, (laughs) we're going to spend. I'll I'll give us two minutes. Okay, Kerry. When Michael came back, yep. Do you remember the the double nickel in New York? I do. Okay. So it's like his fourth or fifth game back after the famous I'm back release. Yep. I'm sitting in my bedroom. We had at that time, this is a long time ago, what, 96? Uh, and we had a, a bench at the bottom of our bed, and I'm sitting in the bedroom. I think I was unemployed at the time. I'd been laid really? off at KMOX. And 
my wife walks in with laundry or something. I said, hey, you got to come and sit down and watch this. It was like the first quarter, and it was riveting. You could not turn away. It just going off. Yeah. It, I mean, it, it, it was quintessential, Michael. It, that was one of the games. First of all, for me, being a teenager and, and your, your, your hero, the guy you watched, I was watching WGN every single night. Mm-hmm. I, I mm-hmm. was able to watch pretty much every Bulls game that, that was aired. And you, you grow uh, an affinity for, for, for what Michael Jordan was able to do. And when he came back, it was just... You know, it was like Christmas. Mm-hmm. It was one of the best days of, of my young childhood. And it was must-see TV. It was. And Rock was how old, Rock? Oh, God. 19, five? 1996. Oh, five, yeah. Yeah, five years old. He has no clue. No. He, yeah. he missed that whole... Yeah, sorry he missed out. Yeah. You, you missed greatness, yeah. Rock. It's, it's unfortunate. Speaking of basketball, <laughs> Slew with a wild win last night over George Mason by a score of 63-62. to 62. Travis Ford ejected after a, a missed call led to his second technical foul and then a second what they what what did he call it or did you call it a phantom t that's and that's paraphrasing he said okay. he said he said he didn't deserve it in any yeah. way shape or form and, he, and he's gonna have a talk with the, the conference about him because he didn't deserve him is what he well, said he's got a, a strongly worded email to them this morning <laughs> uh, sl- slew over george mason 63 62 and mizzou ran into texas a&m and maybe reality uh texas a&m clobbers the tigers 82 to 64 the Blues are back in action tonight, the second of two, against Calgary over at Enterprise Center. Six o'clock pregame here on 101 ESPN. The action comes your way at 7. Craig Berube, after the comeback win against the Flames on Tuesday, what do you change this time? In my opinion, that we let them come at us too much with too much speed, too much rush attack, and we got to do a better job of that. That starts in the offensive zone with um, our four-check, uh, being a little bit more tight, and we definitely did it in the third period. We were a lot better, but we got to do it the whole game. You know, that team came at us in waves the first two periods, had us at our end too much. Third period, we changed that, but we got to make sure that we do that right from the start of the game tomorrow. And that game is tonight. By the way, I shouldn't be scoreboard watching this early in the season, but I do. Edmonton beat Anaheim last night, six to two. So the Blues now trail Edmonton in the cent- or in the Western Conference playoff race. There are two points behind both Calgary and Edmonton. He 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 spoke about the the speed and pace that Calgary played with against them, and I, I talked about Cal- sorry, excuse me, my apologies. <laughs> Calgary <laughs> played with against them on Tuesday night, and and we talked about that. The Blues are kind of in this. Are they a heavy team? Are they a fast team? They're kind of in the middle, dead smack in the middle, and need to either get faster or or become more physical because right now the game that they play, I don't know if it's if it's going to be sustainable. The way that the Flames played against them on Tuesday night, that second period scared the scared the heck out of me because I really felt as though they were going to put some more goals, some more some more pucks in the net because of the the pace at which they were playing. Um, they're going to have to make sure, I'm sure Calgary, Calgary is going to come out tonight, you know, with, with a little bit more. They'll more, be flying. They'll they? be flying around because they, they know that they, they don't feel like they should have lost that game on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the Blues are going to have to withstand that early and make sure that they can take, take, a, take, take some opportunities when they're presented and not allow that speed to get a hold of them. CD, uh, quite a story out of the NFL. And I, I, the only thing I can relate it to is what, what I've seen in the past when Mike Martz walked in here in 99 with, uh, with Marshall Falk and Isaac Bruce and Torrey Holt and Isaac, uh, Orlando Pace and, and Trent Green and then Kurt Warner. And he, he had success. And, you know, 
uh, Mike LaFleur should have, he's got a similar cast of characters, doesn't he, in New York? <laughs> I mean, he's got um, Elijah Moore. And, uh, Garrett Wilson. Garrett Wilson is a nice player. Yeah, he's got a, just a stud offensive line. He's got Zach Wilson. Yeah. And uh, they were 5-2, and two, and then the running back, Brees Hall, gets hurt, and the, the offense goes down the tubes when Hall, Moore checks out. Zach Wilson is Zach Wilson. He's got to be comforted by his mom's friend, I guess, losing his <laughs> offensive coordinator. But anyway, uh, Mike LaFleur, Matt LaFleur's brother, fired by the Jets yesterday as their offensive coordinator. And I can understand if people don't like philosophies and don't like the way an offense is called. But you like the way an offense is called when the plays work. Yeah. And if you don't have the players to make the plays work, then you're finding a scapegoat when you fire the OC. Well, if you are, I think one of the the, the toughest tasks of a coach, of a play caller, is knowing your personnel and fitting your scheme to that personnel. When you get an injury, when Brees Hall went down, as you said, if they're not able to run the ball to set up everything else, it changed their philosophy. It changed who they were. You know, they had a, they they brought in um, uh, um, from. From the Jacksonville Jaguars, he never even played. James Robinson, he didn't yeah, play right, much. Right. You you got um, Michael Carter. You got there. There are so many guys. Zonovan Knight. They were just trying to plug people into that position when Brees Hall went down, and the offense changed. Um, it's unfortunate. I mean, it, but but I think every person that coaches understands that that's part of the game. It is, and you sh- you shouldn't feel too bad for for Mister uh, Mike Lafleur because uh, he won't be out of a job very long. Oh no! As a matter of fact, before they fired him, <laughs> teams had called the Jets and said, "Hey, can we talk to him?" His brother is a coach too, so yeah, I think yeah, he, he's going to be, be okay. He's gonna, he might be in Green Bay sooner, be sooner rather than later. Hey, when I was sixteen, I guess I was seventeen. Charles White won the Heisman Trophy playing mm-hmm. for USC, and this was when they were tailback U. They had uh, Ricky Bell, and they had him. And they were just loaded at running back, and every year it seemed like the Heisman Trophy winner was a running back from USC. Ricky Bell passed away. Ricky Bell. Charles White passed away yesterday at the age of 64, and I remember, I can still see this in my mind's eye. 1987, last year, the Cardinals were here in St. Louis, and... Eric Dickerson gets traded by the Rams, and Charles White becomes their number one running back. They come in here for a November game, and Charles White runs 34 times for 213 and a couple of touchdowns. And, Kerry, there was a consecutive game streak for Charles White, who weighed about 210 pounds, if that. He had 34 carries, 35 carries, 29, 29, 29, and 26 carries. That's toting the mail. That is. And and nowadays you don't see running backs carry the ball. Maybe Derrick Henry mm-hmm. might get, you know, 25 carries back-to-back-to-back games. But you know, you don't see that nowadays. And, and to be able to do that, the amount of uh, beating your body takes running the football for, for that many carries, that many weeks in a row – to be able to sustain it is is an awesome awesome game. That was his his uh, his only year where he made it to the Pro Bowl. Yeah, was that year nineteen eighty seven. Um, you know, you just have to send your condolences to the entire family, his entire family, the entire USC family, uh, because you know legends are are they, they have a history of of those legends, where, whether it be any position, and so I'm sure they're hurting right now. No doubt. And first of all, let me run down the the list of running backs at. Uh, USC during the 60s and 70s. O.J. Simpson, 1968. And then they have, uh, you move up to 1979, Charles White. And then a couple of years after that, Marcus Allen at USC. 
so, and they had various and sundry other good running backs during the course of that time. So, uh, yeah, condolences to Charles White and, and his family. Did you ever hear the line from John McKay, the USC coach before John Robinson, mm. when he was asked if he was concerned about running O.J. Simpson too much? No. He said, not really. The ball's not heavy. <laughs> this is true. Classic, classic stuff. And later on in the show, we are going to take your mic drops because we got such response on Twitter about our Trevor Bauer poll yesterday. And we just wanted to know what people think about if the Cardinals would sign Trevor Bauer, would you be interested in the Cardinals when he clears uh, waivers being, would you be okay with the Cardinals signing him? And the poll results were kind of overwhelming. And we still have a couple of hours left. 8,725 votes CD, 51.9% say no, they wouldn't want to sign Trevor Bauer. 48.1% say they would. I was conflicted before Mm -hmm. We ran this poll because it is a ton of talent, right? and you'd like to have that talent on your team, especially if you're the Cardinals. That's where they have a need. But from a business perspective, if I'm Bill DeWitt Jr. or Bill DeWitt III or John Mosaloc, I go back to the line, great line from the movie The Girl Next Door, is the juice worth the squeeze? Hmm. And I don't think with Trevor Bauer... When I have 51.9% of my fan base saying, no, I don't want the guy, I don't think that there is enough certainty that he'll be great to make the juice worth the squeeze. To to outweigh what you're you're dealing with. If if, if we're talking about a Max Scherzer talent Mm -hmm. and history, I I would probably still be conflicted. But this guy hasn't had that many great years. Mm -hmm. So that I I would say, okay, it's worth it. And the other part of this is, and I thought about this a lot during the day yesterday as I watched the the poll unfold, Adam Wainwright has four young daughters. Mm -hmm. Well, a couple in high school now. This is Adam Wainwright's last year. Do you bring that element into that clubhouse with a guy like Adam Wainwright on your team? I I think it's a, I mean, the the poll lets you know exactly how, how, I guess, a a vast majority of, of St. Louisans feel about the idea. I, I, I tend to agree with you. I think it's going to be too much to to deal with if, and not enough. And I don't and, and Randy, honestly, I don't know if there is enough of the player, meaning you could bring in Babe Ruth. You could bring in Barry Bonds. You mm-hmm. can bring in some of the greatest Hank Aaron. You can bring in some of the greatest players of all time. And I don't know if that would still be enough to say, OK, we'll we'll deal with that. Right. I'm with you. I, and. I think the poll probably gives, even if it is one of the all-time greats, the poll gives me all I need to know. I'm 51-49 yeah. against it. Yeah. Because, again, and Alicia Cuthbert, great movie. Oh, you, you, that uh, the guy who was in the like the fourth Die Hard 2, Timothy Oliphant, was in that movie. Great actor. <laughs> Uh, And he's the one that says, is the juice worth the squeeze? I don't think it would be. But we're going to take your mic drops. Coming up at 8 o'clock, we want to hear from you. Just use the mic drop app. And our whole segment is going to be dedicated to your voices, telling us what you think with the Cardinals. And the question is pretty simple. When Trevor Bauer clears waivers, should the Cardinals sign him for the minimum for their rotation? At the moment, 51.9% saying no, 48.1% saying yes. Sick of it is coming your way next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers.
right, time for a segment. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 314-399-9646. 314-399-YOHO. If you use the letters, just put that in your phone so that you can text us at any time very quickly. CD, yesterday we had George Mason coach Kim English on mm-hmm. the show, and you asked him if he had gotten tickets for anybody, and he said... Yeah, and if I did get tickets for anybody, they better be wearing green tonight. I closed the interview by saying, okay, if you know Kim English, you better be wearing green tonight at the game. I get that people are distracted when they're listening to the show, or sometimes they just hear what they want to hear. (laughs) But it shows up on Twitter that Randy Carricker has encouraged all fans to wear green to a Billiken game. Randy Carricker, Billiken season ticket holder. How often do I wear a Billiken pullover? Twice a week into this, yeah, into this thing? I'm, I'm a Billiken fan. My, my wife and my son, my wife went to law school at SLU. My, my son went graduated from St. Louis University. I'm a fan. I said, if you know Kim English, wear green to the game tonight. I'm sick of the fact that people don't listen carefully and then spout what hey. they thought they heard on the social media. Randy, I will tell you this. I have learned, and, and I don't argue with people anymore because I know there's a, a, a great chance that they did not hear me correctly or, or, or process. Sometimes they hear you, but the, the process does not, does not go through correctly. So th- that is a, uh, that's an issue for some people. Not all people, if you're, if you're offended, it's probably you. You may be one of those people, but everyone else it's not talking to you the people that don't listen completely and just hear snippets and then go and and want to be the first mm-hmm. one to as you said spout off on on the social medias <laughs> come on people do better randy was not telling you all to wear green he was telling friends and family of kim english that he got tickets for you better be the ones wearing green. That's all he said. Just having fun, so, just, some fun with Kim, who was just, great, a great guest. Just listening. We're, we're, yeah. we're, we're, we're pretty detailed here. Yeah. Randy, you know what I'm sick of? What? I'm sick of school districts that do not prepare children for life after high school. And what did I mean by that, Randy? Randy, there is a, there are certain school districts that you can turn in assignments. Let's say the assignment is due January 12th. Okay. That's you can turn in today. that assignment April 12th. It's not preparing you for real life. I am sick of certain school districts not helping students be prepared. And and it doesn't help the teachers because the teachers generally have days where they set aside to grade papers and grade homework and grade all of these things. And therefore, you allow kids to turn in work two, three, four, five, six, eight weeks later. That's not helping the kid. And so I have had kids, Randy, former players, former kids that I know from high school go to college and say, Coach, I can't do this. It's too hard. Why? Well, the homework assignment is due due, uh, January 11th and January 12th, and I got to turn it in on January 12th. They lock us out after January 12th. We can't. 11.59 going into January 13th, I can't can't do the assignment. Really? Yeah, we've never worked on that, Coach. We're not prepared for that. So, I'm sick of school districts not preparing children. And here's the thing, school districts, if you make that a rule that they have to turn in the assignment on time, guess who's going to have to agree? The parents. So don't tell me that the parents are the reason that you don't do certain things because they're going to they're going to argue, fuss and cuss. No, you're the school district. You set the tone for how you prepare kids. And I'm not talking about any school district in particular. Maybe I am. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe there's one in North County that should do better. Gotcha. Whole CD, school district. You know, I was a bad student, right? It's that has been borne out. Yeah, we've talked about that. 
I got to tell you, one of the coolest things from the standpoint of being a bad student, when my son was 14 and went to register at Parkway North, Mm -hmm. and I didn't even, I don't remember if I knew my guidance counselor, but the guidance counselor brings us into the office, brings out a big, thick binder, sits down, says, Here's how we're going to get you into college. Hmm. That's the first thing that Patrick heard at That's, Parkway North. That, and that was awesome. really cool, I yes, thought. That is awesome. And it's not about being an athlete. This is about yep. being a student, yep. learning how to go about your process to become a college student, yep. which is going to prepare you. College for me is not about you know, going to college and getting the grade and graduating. It's really about networking. It's your first time being in a different place. It's your first adult experience. You're, you're 18. You're away from home. You you have an opportunity to be in a different environment and be around different people and, and network with different right. people. That's where your network begins. Yep. You're so, right. Yeah. So superintendents, principals, guidance counselors. And when you have that meeting... That should be the first thing you say to a kid and their parents who are sitting there when they register. Here's how we're going to get you to college. Indeed. Start with that. Uh, Matthew, what'd you, what'd you pull up from the old sound machine? So if you were listening to the fast lane uh, the last two days, you might have heard this, but Anthony Stalter had a fantastic rant because he got one of the texts that we always get here in the morning slot, <laughs> which is uh, somebody complaining about the Cardinals. And not only just complaining about the Cardinals, but complaining about uh, how... We hold water for the organization mm-hmm. because they, they keep just signing all those checks for us, Randy. They keep signing oh, yeah. all those extra checks for us. Mm-hmm. So they, we were just we're holding all the no water mind. for them. Have, have you all gotten so, uh, no, no, not really. Okay. And so uh, here's Andrew Marsh reading the text in a very um, <laughs> apropos voice. And then Stalter's reaction to it, I think, is, is the reaction we've all kind of had. Texter uh, from the 314. It's always ifs with the Cardinals, <laughs> except for Arenado and Goldie. Damn it, I'm sick of it. Step up to the plate. And produce or try to. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know what to tell you on that. How the. I almost cursed. <laughs> this guy literally almost made me curse. How the hell do I ho- do I hold Mo accountable? Do you think, outside of Ballpark Village? Do you th- do you really think <laughs> that the Cardinals ownership is sitting there and saying, "Well, you know that idiot Anthony Stalter. He he doesn't like Mo. Let's get rid of him." You know that guy on the radio. Who does the four-hour show there on ESPN? Yeah, he was saying that uh, Mo, <laughs> Mo should go. <laughs> what is wrong with you? Beautiful fellow. Uh, yeah. We have a, we have the first sick of it from the text line, which is uh, which is perfect coming off that sick of these so-called Cardinal fans complaining nonstop about Mo DeWitt not trying or caring. It's been a great run since 96 with All-Stars, Hall of Famers, World Series runs. A 30-30, a 30 for 30 should be made about this run. Stop the whining already and enjoy the Cardinals. Yeah, I would suggest that somebody was saying last night uh, on the Twitter machine that the Cardinals aren't entertaining. And I said, you know, the Cardinals, since the DeWitt ownership took over, They've done a pretty good job of providing a six-month journey to the playoffs. Now, if you can only be entertained by a world championship team, then you're 100% right. Right. But if you can't be entertained by the Cardinals, then you haven't been able to be entertained by the Mets for the last 36 years, or the Yankees for the last 13 years, or the Philadelphia Phillies for the last 14 years, or... The You spent 108 years not being entertained by the Chicago Cubs. You spent from 1958 to 2010 not being entertained by the San Francisco Giants. I refuse to believe 
the Giants fans spent the entire time Barry Bonds was there and weren't entertained? I, I think I would challenge someone on, on the entertaining part because that 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 wild card game was extremely entertaining. It just did not go in the <laughs> yeah, way that we wanted right. it to go. Yeah. It was entertaining. Now, if, you're, if your entertainment is based solely on, as you said, winning championships or winning the game, then, yeah, you're, you're probably not entertained. But uh, there have been some some fun. I mean, in last se- for first of all, last season was probably one of the most entertaining seasons we've seen other than teams that have won championships. Like, that season... The entire season, I would probably say, was one of the most entertaining, regardless of a championship, because you don't know until you get to the playoffs whether or not you're going to win it. Mm-hmm. The, the playoffs and regular season are two totally uh, different entities. That season with all of the things, Albert, every single time he came up to the plate, every, t- every time Wadi, uh, Yachty and Wayno got a chance to to go out and, and, and start a game, there were so many things. Goldie and Arenado, their season. Come on. Come on, man. That, 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 was, a, that was, was a very it entertaining. It was a lot of fun, wasn't it? Yes, it was. So yeah, or, or, who who I I don't understand the arguments. I, I listen. There's plenty of things to be bothered by. You you can find well, plenty of little complaints here. You know they just had you know MLB.com's coming out with a list, and the Cardinals just came out as number three on the ones who hoards prospects. There's you can make complaints, yeah. but the overall arching of like they don't care or they're not trying to win is lazy and also not factual. Well, and people, yeah, you're right. People people would like to espouse their own. <clears throat> Ideas and couch them as facts. Yes, and and the hoarding prospects angle is interesting because you know you you when you do trade away guys you don't know sometimes you get a good deal sometimes you get bitten in the deal and and it just it just it's no correct I guess one hundred percent science into into trading away people or 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 whether or not this prospect is going to become what you want him to be. Carry over the course of four off seasons. The Cardinals traded a total of 10 players for Ozuna, Goldschmidt, and Arenado. There you go. Right? So I, I don't yeah. think that's hoarding guys. No. No. And by the way, people seem kind of mad that they traded Sandy Alcantara in, in the Ozuna deal. Also, Randy Rosarena seems to be a bad... But at least they that, yeah. that one, they traded him for another prospect. Fair. Uh, we got one more. You know what? We got to get to Greg. Oh, oh, go right. ahead. You're right. No, you know, sick of the argument between LeBron James and, Le- and Jordan. Today's game was a total cupcake as what it was in the 90s. Totally. No yep. doubt about it. And Jordan would have walked right through it. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> Greg Amsinger joining us next on 101 ESPN Plus. Your mic drops at the top of the hour. And the question is, when Trevor Bauer clears waivers, should the Cardinals sign him for the minimum for their rotation? Mike drops with the 101 ESPN app at the top of the hour. But MLB Network's Greg Amzinger next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. I said before I'm in a different place and as a player I'm a little older now and I got a family now and I really love living in St. Louis obviously playing with Goldie, Wayno, those are things that uh, I don't take for granted because they're some of the greatest players I ever played this game and Albert and Yachty and I just want to hold up my end of the bargain in St. Louis. Nolan Arenado with Derek Gould at stltoday.com telling Derek that uh, when he came here, he wanted to end his career in St. Louis. Now he essentially will. Greg Amsinger of MLB Network had a similar interview with Nolan Arenado a couple of months ago, and uh, he joins us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Greg, good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I love this topic to start our conversation. Yes, I did have an interview with Nolan Arenado during the MVP show. He's a finalist for the award. His teammate 
obviously won it and Paul Goldschmidt. And I said to him as I let up the question, we'll never see this again. We will never see a guy who became a finalist for most valuable player who isn't over the age of 35 who could easily opt out and cash in, make more money, and he decides not to opt out. It'll be the last time you ever see that in this sport. Greg, there are many, many Cardinal fans, not a, not all, but, but many Cardinal fans who are dissatisfied with the Cardinals' competitive level. Uh, you, fortunately, are not on social media to see this, but you talk to a lot of baseball players. What do baseball players think about the Cardinals' ability to compete on a year-in, year-out basis? Uh, the players don't get it. The players don't understand what all the fans in St. Louis are upset about. They, all the players know is it's a great place to play. They notice it when they're playing against the Cardinals. They realize the players are incredibly happy when they are a Cardinal. You see guys that wear the uniform for their entire careers like Wayno and Yachty, and they love it. They see that guys get gigantic contract extensions. They see that they have terrific farm system talent that come up and they're completely developed and ready for the big leagues. Uh, they see ownership that supports not just the on-field product, but everything goes around the ballpark and, and the atmosphere and the culture and what it's like to be a Cardinal fan. It, to, to a player, they see a team that always wins. They see a team that's got people in the seats every single home game. They don't understand what the spoiled St. Louis Cardinal fans are complaining about. They just don't. And as a St. Louisan who grew up loving the Cardinals, I am with you. I was also spoiled. That's why I'm so happy on MLB Network. If I grew up in Miami and I went through all those horrible years, the Marlins, which they're still going through, I'd probably be a bit more cynical. I mean, for example, just compare the personalities of me and my colleague, Matt Vaskersian. He's a lifelong <laughs> Oakland A's fan. He makes fun of people. He's angry a lot. He's very bitter. I'm happy. I smile. You can't wipe the smile off my face. Why? I'm a Cardinal fan. Hey, Greg. Spoiled. We just got to get over it. <laughs> we were talking about, uh, we had a text to say that, that the entertainment factor for the Cardinals is not always there. And I, I, I had a rebuttal saying last season may have been the most entertaining season, regular season that I have ever seen in, in, in my lifetime watching the Cardinals. What is your thoughts on that? I mean, you had Albert and his chase. You had Yachty and Wayno with what they were doing. You got two uh, top three MVP candidates and one winning it. I felt like last season was the most entertaining season for Cardinal baseball in my 38 years of 38 37 years of watching it no doubt but i'm i'm going to quote one of my goofy friends named Nick Barelli B A R R A L E in case you know him personally you can make fun of him <laughs> what he says all the time is well if it didn't end with a championship it doesn't matter it's not entertaining uh, are you morphing into a yankee fan are cardinals are cardinals morphing into mets fans where and, and this is what i've come to learn covering all 30 teams especially living in the Northeast, Yankee fans and Met fans enjoy losing more than they enjoy winning. When their team's winning 100 games a year, they get quiet. You forget that they're a baseball fan. They walk around. They're never talking about baseball. So then when they get booted and they, they lose in, in, in the wild card series or in the ALCS, NLCS, then they complain they're back to being their, no, their normal selves again. Oh, we want Cashman out. They, they, want every, they want to win the championship every year. It's so irrational. 
And I don't know where fans in St. Louis slipped down that rabbit hole. Where did rationality become obsolete? Where it's not a necessity anymore. My friends, all the time, they bury John Mozeliak. John Mozeliak's going in the Hall of Fame. Get over it. The guy builds a winner every single year. Oh, but he doesn't win a World Series every single year. That's irrational. So we need to stop being irrational. Baseball fans in St. Louis, go get a really good therapist because your spouse doesn't need to hear about this. Your coworkers don't need to hear about this. Your parents don't need to hear about this. Go get a therapist that you only talk baseball with. You can call me. I, I, I charge a lot an hour. But I will spar with you about Cardinal baseball for an hour. You can sit on my couch. By the time you get out of there, you'll realize your life is actually blessed. Nick Borelli, how's the view from under that bus? <laughs> Man, <I'm> alive. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Greg. hey, man, I don't live there. So you guys are that. <laughs> Greg, we did a poll yesterday, and we have almost 8,800 votes on this poll. The question is, when Trevor Bauer clears waivers, should the Cardinals sign him for the minimum for their rotation? 48.1% of the 8,800 votes saying yes, 51.9% saying no. Where does Greg Amzinger come down? It's unbelievable. This is such a hard topic. Um, look, he didn't, you know, go to prison. Um, he went through due process. Uh, still, we know what we know, and it's awful. The details are terrible. Uh, it's a PR nightmare if you run an organization. It just is. Um, I, the way I look at it, and, and you know, I, and I and I hate saying this, the only way. I would kick the tires on this guy, who I actually got to know personally. He moonlighted with us uh, during the postseason for about two weeks. Trevor Bauer, early on in his career, uh, came and visited, and, and we did shows with him. And he's a very, you know, analytically driven athlete, and, and he thinks outside the box. And you know, he 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 would he told me this is years ago. This is probably year two of his career uh, that he would never sign a long term contract, nothing longer than three years. Uh, that he would want to bet on himself every year. And if it was up to him, he would break the AAV record every single year by signing one-year contracts, and it would guarantee that he would always be in a winning environment. He'd be traded at the deadline because he believed he'd be putting up great numbers, and he'd always be pitching in the postseason because he would sign nothing but one-year contracts. So the way I look at this, he's a driven guy. He's a nightmare from a public relations standpoint, no question about it. He has rubbed so many former teammates the wrong way. I mean, the Dodger, Dodgers didn't want him around, okay? And, 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 and I personally wouldn't sign him. I'll put it that way. I, I personally would not sign him. There are other ways to win. You don't need to do it. But if I was under the gun and I did not have enough starting pitching and I was told by my owner, if you don't build a winner this year, if we don't go to the playoffs, you're fired, okay? And I was, I was on the hot seat. I would – I would sign this guy to the league minimum, and I would tell him only show up every fifth day. And that is an outside-the-box idea, but I would say, dude, we don't need you in the clubhouse. We don't need you around us. Just show up every fifth day. I mean, essentially, there were great pitchers back in the day that did this anyway. I mean, Randy Johnson had no idea what was going on. The other four days, he he basically (laughs) was doing the same thing. Uh, Roger Clemens, very similar. Um, This guy... It, it, unlike those two, he, he really doesn't mesh well in the clubhouse. I, if I signed him, I would say only show up on the day you pitch. And then once you're done, you can take the, 
the, the Escalade that's waiting for you with your name in the window and just go wherever you need to go. That's the way I would do it with this guy. Greg, the uh, saga of Carlos Correa finally ended six years, $200 million, uh, signing with the Twins. Have you ever seen anything like that? And and does he is he ever able to make up that $150 million that he missed out on by uh, not passing those physicals? Uh, it's so sad, man. Um, you know, I rarely agree with Scott Boris uh, ever. And listening to the press conference yesterday, what he said was actually on point. You know, if a former team still wants to sign a player, that is the greatest compliment to a free agent. And for the Giants and the Mets to still back away, it would, that's what, I mean, he didn't miss any time over this injury. It's almost as if everyone got quiet, quiet. Do you hear that? There's something ticking in his ankle. Hold your ear up to Carlos Correa's ankle. You can hear a ticking noise. Was there a bomb in there? Like, what is going on? <laughs> well, why is it that we just know this this limb is going to blow up in six to seven years? It, it's 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 insane. So we never had a medical professional from either one of those two organizations, the Giants or the Mets, sit down and answer questions as to why they know. Tell us why you know this has no shot of being sustainable. This surgery that he went through in 2014 when he's in the minor leagues, may I remind you, he was the former number one overall pick. Are you telling me the Houston Astros didn't have the best surgeon money could buy to go into this guy's body and fix this injury? So I am blown away by this. Um, he has suffered no pain. He had one moment where it was tagged. It hit his plate, of the glove did, and he said it went numb for a bit. And I feel like that honesty, that, that candor that he had – in the 2022 season, playing for the Twins, when it took him a while to get up, he stayed in the game, never was removed. But after the game was asked about it, that quote, that direct quote, cost him $100 million. Wow. It's hard for me to, to fathom that, but his honesty in that moment more than likely cost him $100 million. Amazing. Hey, Greg, I got a tough one for you. Felix Hernandez is going into the Mariners Hall of Fame. Should Felix Hernandez be a baseball Hall of Famer? It's, oh, man, he is literally on the borderline. Totally, isn't he? I, I think he is. And the way I look at it, and I hate saying this, but was there a moment in his career where when I look at players, especially starting pitchers, for five seasons, were they leaps and bounds better than other Hall of Fame pitchers? And, and, and he checks that box. Yeah. You could go to a lot of Hall of Fame pitchers where he was by far better. And Greg, let me just quick give for people that aren't aware, between 2009 and 2014, here's where he finished in the Cy Young voting in the American League. Second, first, not not in the top 10, fourth, eighth, second. He's the right-handed Johan Santana, right? Right, right. I mean, it's, it's dominance for a smaller amount of time that I believe we need to start recalibrating Hall of Fame resumes. What does that mean? We're not going to see pitchers throw 200 innings for 20 years. We're not going to see another 300-game winner. It's just it's not going to happen. So all of the numbers that we believe are important for Hall of Fame pitchers are going to go by the wayside, and we have to start reimagining what a Hall of Fame starting pitching resume looks like. And this guy's got the hardware. He was a face of an organization. I mean, when you're a starting pitcher and you are by far the biggest star of an organization, that adds to what? It adds to your fame. It's the Hall of Fame. And he was famous. And I, I just think, 
it, he's someone that we really need to kick the tires on because when he was right, I'll never forget an interview he did with uh, Harold Reynolds in spring training. This is after he won his first Cy Young Award. Harold goes, okay, so you throw five pitches, and all of them by scouts are deemed plus pitches. What's your favorite? And he goes, all of them. <laughs> and, he, and he pitched that way. He pitched that way. He could get you out with all of his weapons. Um, it's unfortunate the way his career ended. Mm-hmm. But guess what? That happens to players that aren't cheating. So when you're not doing PEDs, Father Time tells you you're not good anymore. And that's what happened to Felix Hernandez. I think he, we need to take a close look at his Hall of Fame resume. Hey, Greg, we were talking about Hall of Fame votes last weekend, and we were saying that if a person doesn't select anyone, they should be removed from being allowed to vote. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. I think the people that vote for the Hall of Fame, that needs to be an honor that you're handpicked and selected for. And we should know who's handpicking you. I mean, we've got guys that watch one team. They follow one team every single day. And last time you asked me about this, I got a little bitter and sweaty because (laughs) I know a few people. I know a few people that watch all 30 teams. Matter of fact, they're not allowed to leave until all 30 teams are done playing every night. (laughs) And, 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 you know, through just pure osmosis, you just, the, the, the information of all these players seep into their mind. Now, if you don't think that's enough, Maybe I know a few other people that not only watch all 30 teams play every single night, but they covered the MLB draft. And, they, and, and therefore, they knew all the Hall of Famers before they even broke into the big leagues. So they knew what they were like out of high school and out of college. We need to reimagine who votes for this stuff because there's clear bias injected into all of it. And the one thing I will say, we need to get rid of the public votes until after the election. The group think that goes on is so nauseating. We have a bunch of people that really don't care, so they're not going to upset the apple cart, and they're finding out who everyone else is voting for, so they just fall in line? What are we doing? Like, I, I, I can't stand that. No public vote, even though I, when I cover the Hall of Fame election announcement coming up in a few weeks, I will be talking about, here are the public votes that are out there. It looks like it's, you know, it's going to be a good ballot for Scott Rowland. I don't want to hear about that. Keep it to yourself. Make this a, a real altruistic vote. And I want to hear what you think. Uh, but I, I can't stand the group that votes for this, not all of them. But I think we need to reimagine the electorate because there are more qualified people that cover all 30 teams equally. And we need to give them some merit. Final thing for Greg Amzinger, one of my best friends in the world. And Greg, as you know, I love this platform on our show because I have the opportunity to do things of a charitable endeavor with the golf tournament and trivia nights and uh, do as uh, as much as I can for the community. But the other thing I can do with this platform is put my good friends on the spot. As an employee of Major League Baseball, I'm going to be in Arizona on March 8th when the Giants play the United States World Baseball Classic team. And I need tickets for that game. <laughs> oh wow! Hey, we're in luck. I, I am also very charitable, Randy, and I care for downtrodden and uh, a, a man that grinds every morning in a studio and has tattoos of blue Stanley Cups on his body. You do this for the fans, man. And I understand how hard you work and how little credit you get for everything you do. So I will make sure, Randy, that I give to you. I give back to you, and I get some tickets to that game. 
You're the king. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry for putting you on the spot there, but I couldn't just do it in a uh, no, text because you guys are hell no. Clearly, I can handle that. <laughs> You're the best. Have a great day. Thank you. <laughs> Take care, guys. See you, brother. That is uh, our friend Greg Amsinger, uh, native of St. Louis, a product of the Lindenwood University and uh, the lead anchor for MLB Network. Coming up here on 101 ESPN, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780 for take it or leave it. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. It's time for Take It or Leave It. Want to say something? Want to put it out there? If you like it, you can take it. If you don't, send it right back. Get your text into 314-399-9646. And give us your Take It or Leave It. Brought to you by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. That's my final offer. Take it or leave it. Time for Tioli on 101 ESPN with Kerry Davis and Matthew Rocchio. I'm Randy Carricker. And CD, a recent study determined that the six most popular celebrity cars are the Bugatti Atlantic, mm. the Bugatti Chiron, the Maybach Accelero, the Lamborghini Urus, the Ferrari LaFerrari, the Vintage Rolls-Royce Silver Cloud, and... Uh, th- those are the six. Uh, take it or leave it. You saw those in a parking lot in the NFL. One of those. Yeah, I take it. In, in, in Washington, I might have seen all six. <laughs> it's quite... A couple of Bugattis, a Maybach, a Lamborghini, a Ferrari, and a vintage Rolls Royce. It was like a car show there. It was one of the most amazing things I have ever seen in my life. I'm like, these guys are, what the heck is going on here? Why, why, why are you driving that to work and you're going straight home afterwards? It was interesting. Uh, Rams, Rams had a fifth round draft choice that had a Ferrari. Yeah, that wasn't a sound business. No, decision. he lasted two years, two three years in the league. Yeah, you probably ew, he might yeah. still. Oh, that, that's yeah. a, that's hard living. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> beautiful that, white vehicle. That yeah, I'm <laughs> sure, I wonder how long he had it. They probably did not did not uh, did not keep it that long. No, uh, probably fifth round not. is a is a tough task. Um, Randy, we were talking about Michael Jordan and and Chicago Bulls and you know all of the great things that took place in the '90s that you and I were able to partake in and Rock was still a young man and and still just you know in his youth of of NBA basketball formative Take, years as formative a formative years of basketball take it or leave it if you got one shot to win a game Michael Jeffrey Jordan is taking that shot I'll take that what who is the- next. Uh, all time all to time. win a game. Larry Bird. Who's after that? I'm trying to get to a point to see if, if we ever get to a LeBron James. Uh, I would say LeBron's probably my three. Over Kobe? Oh, four. <laughs> <laughs> no one else? He's absolutely top five. Top LeBron is? Yeah. For, for me, he is. For a jumper? No. If we're talking about get to the basket and get fouled, yes. He might be number two. But but he's had so many games where he's taken over in the fourth quarter and hit shots, to w- hit jumpers to win games, 15, 18, 23-footers. I got another take it or leave it. It just came to my mind. Yuri Collins went to the free throw line last night mm-hmm. with uh, an opportunity to get two points and, and, and seal the game. Take it or leave it. It's more pressure after you miss the first one to make that second one. Absolutely take Ooh. it. Yeah, that is big-time pressure. All right, the, the amount of pressure, if you miss the first one, you're like, oh, my God. Okay, 
Mm-hmm. And to, to knock it down, to knock the second one down, just alleviates it. Just makes you feel a little bit better. Yeah, 1.7 seconds left yeah. or whatever it was. Your text on the text line from... 101 ESPN 3143999646 Steph Curry Okay fifth <laughs> He just gotta keep moving back Yeah Did you say Reggie Miller? <laughs> Seven Okay I'm gonna take LeBron there I'm, gonna, I'm taking LeBron there Alright Alright I just wanna I to get it out there You gotta stop it somewhere I just wanna right. get it out there Alright I just wanna get it out there Top five all time is not a bad thing It's, it's only not. Bob Big Shot Bob I'm taking LeBron right. I would take LeBron there. That's fair Um Take it or leave it. The starting outfield for the St. Louis Cardinals in this year, in next year's NLDS, is Newt Bar, is Newt Bar, Carlson, Walker. Take it. I'm going to take that. That's assuming that there is not a healthy Tyler O'Neill. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a lot of ways. He there's can, a there's an assumption there. Hey, the guys worked out here in St. Louis the entire offseason. I hope he plays 140 games. I'm gonna I'm gonna leave that. Because I think Tyler O'Neill is is in there somewhere. If 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 he's healthy, he's in there, right? Yeah. He's got to yeah. be in there. Yeah. Take it or leave it. The Cowboys lose to Tampa Tom, and Mike McCarthy uh, gets gonna, fired. I'm, Ooh, Ooh, take I'm, it. I'm, I'm going to take it all the way. Take Ooh. it. He is on. Uh, this is him and Brandon Staley have to win to stay in their seat. You would think so. If they lose, and, I, and Brandon Staley could be it. Really, either one of them. If they don't make it to the to the NFC or AFC championship games, respectively, they probably are out of a job. Even if they lose in the second round, because I, I, I think if you're if you're looking at Brandon Staley and you have Sean Payton, yep, right there knocking yeah. at the door. If you're looking at at, at McCarthy, um, uh, McCarthy, and, and trying to figure out if he is going to be your guy, I. Eh. It's amazing how patient Jerry Jones has been over the years, though. And, <laughs> right, that, those those two, two words, patience and, and Jerry Jones, th- those three words don't really go together, do they? No, you wouldn't think so, but Jimmy Johnson, five years, uh, Barry Switzer, four, Chan Gailey, two, Campo, three, Parcells left on his own after four. He went down the line four years with uh, Wade Phillips. Jason Garrett got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years. I didn't. I thought it was eight. Ten. Ten is a lot. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, Mike McCarthy for the last three. He was impatient with Jerry Jones. I mean, with uh, Jimmy Johnson. Yes. Because he, he, there well, was a uh, Jimmy uh, was a, getting credit. A but yeah, <laughs> there's a butting of heads there. I, I wonder though, at Jerry Jones, at some point when you're 80 years old, you've got to recognize that there's mortality and you want another Super Bowl, and maybe desperation sets in. I don't know if it's coming. Well, that's why he would move McCarthy, I would think. You yeah, say, I'm, I'm, yeah, I, yeah. I need to get one more before I die. Take it or leave it. Before all is said and done for Robert Thomas, he is a Selkie finalist. Take it. He's become a really nice 200-foot player. Well, no. He's tall. Um, <laughs> but, well, well good done. job, Rob. I've been working. See, this, this is, oh, I'm coming in on the year anniversary, and Randy's just like, I got another one. Good job. Real like that one, Rob. anniversary? <laughs> what? Is this? Uh, it's uh, one week. Next yeah, week? Yeah, it's next week. It's a week from today. Oh, nice. Yeah, the 19th, the 19th was when I, I shadowed uh, Grand Francis for a, a couple days. Francis. Okay. 24th was the. First day, it was just all me. Okay. Take, Francis, take it and run. Francis, Francis Walk. Excuse Thank me. You. Take it or leave it. Barbershop's here next year, but O'Reilly and Tarasenko are not. Leave it. In fact, I think they're all gone on March 4th. Really? Yep. Is there anyone else? That won't be here? Yeah. I could see them if... Uh, because Army's, they move a defenseman even though they are lacking many defensemen. But Army 
I always go back to this. All I have to say is the Army traded Yori Laterra. Mm. If, if your Army can trade Yori Laterra in that contract, anything is possible. Uh, by the way, Monday is the anniversary of Isaac Bruce's touchdown against Minnesota. We talked about it with uh-huh. Mike March yesterday. We're going to have to do a segment on that. Let's do it. It, it's, it, it was so much fun. We'll, we'll, we'll work on that. Uh, thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Randy. Coming up, we're going to get your mic drops in about whether or not the Cardinals should sign Trevor Bauer. It's all you. Next segment on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. A fresh perspective on the day's top stories. It's the Opening Drive's Fresh Take. Brought to you by Schnucks Rewards. Reward yourself. Earn 2% back on every purchase with the Schnucks Rewards app. Your mic drops uh, to weigh in on whether or not the Cardinals should sign Trevor Bauer. The poll, by the way, let me get to the latest poll numbers. Uh, and, and by the way, you folks have been unbelievable in your response to the poll. 8,863 votes, still an hour left to vote. The question, when Trevor Bauer clears waivers, should the Cardinals sign him for the minimum for their rotation? Right now, 51.9% of the voters say no. say yes. Your mic drops. We'll start with Ken. I was one of the voters that voted no on a Trevor Bauer thing. But I think what the votes kind of say is, you know, the 51 to 49 is us, the fans, striving and looking for, you know, uh, more from the Cardinals. I think, personally, in my opinion, it's pretty evident that... uh, you know, that we're looking for more. Yeah, I, I, I get that. More, more than just a baseball performer on the field. Well, that's what I was When he says more, I speaking of more wins or, or more than, as you said, more than just a, a baseball player, someone that is good in the community. Uh, but then there's a large section of people that, that we see every day that text in to say we want to win championships. Right. And that that's kind of the balance for, for what you want and what you need. So we'll go to Daniel next with a mic drop. Every year, we need pitching. Every year, pitchers get hurt. Please, I beg the Cardinals, sign Trevor Bauer. Kid is not pitching a year and a half. No wear and tear on that arm. Think of the future. We always need pitching. Sign him for the cheap amount. Please, Cardinals, sign Trevor Bauer. And there, that's the person you were talking yeah. about, right, CD? Yeah, you want to win, and so you, sometimes you you will sacrifice some things. And like I said, in this case, it's so uh, touchy because we do not know what happened. We saw, you know, you've seen the 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 the, the messages and, and the reports of what took place, but no one was there. And so if if it's it's just a, a touchy situation for people to to really dig into and get into. And if you're the Cardinals. You do know that the guy got the longest suspension in the history of baseball yep. for domestic violence. Yep. And that's, I'm sure, especially as close as Bill DeWitt Jr. is with Rob Manfred, that's got to be part of their thought process. Yes, definitely. Let's hear next from David on 101 ESPN. The Bauer decision is an easy one. No 
way. A few years ago, I read the book The MVP Machine, and this was before any of the assault stuff came out. And Bauer is chronicled as being arrogant and being selfish and being narcissistic and a guy that would fracture the clubhouse. There's absolutely no way he fits in on this team, even before all the assault things. It just the the fracture in the clubhouse. And I think that speaks to what Greg said, you know, um, maybe bringing the guy in every fifth day. You start, you go home. We don't need you Mm -hmm. on any other days in between because I don't know how that works for for a guy. I think it will work well for a guy that is is established and has, you know, great, uh, I guess, camaraderie with his teammates. But a guy that is kind of a mercenary at that point would, would be I think that would be difficult for a clubhouse and for a team to to really get behind yeah I don't think there's any doubt that especially this clubhouse it'd be difficult if the Dodgers clubhouse feels that way I think that's probably built similarly mm-hmm. to the Cardinal clubhouse with the number of veterans I would think that the clubhouse and I said yesterday first thing I do is go to my leadership and find out what they think but I, I would think the Cardinal clubhouse would would be probably like the Dodgers clubhouse in their response to this. Uh, Derek is next. Absolutely. In the end of the day, stuff plays. Um, Trevor Bauer is one of the most dominant pitchers in the last 10 years. Yeah, he's last time he pitched a full season. Now, that was the COVID season. He Mm -hmm. won a Cy Young Award. And the last time he pitched... Uh, CD, he he was really good. He was pitching well for the Dodgers. And I, I got a couple of notes yesterday that people said, well, after the sticky stuff was uh, outlawed, he didn't pitch well. He only had two starts after the sticky stuff, both quality starts, uh, six innings, three runs, 10 strikeouts against the Padres, six innings, two runs, eight strikeouts against the Giants. So without the sticky stuff, it's very small sample size. He was pretty good. Shane has our last one. Shane on 101 ESPN. If the Cardinals were willing to deal with Carlos Martinez and all his weird antics, why not pick up Trevor Bauer? League minimum, you rent him for a year. He has a good year. He goes and signs a contract somewhere else. If we can't afford him or he stays here with us, who cares? Let the dude pitch. It's a great point because Carlos Martinez certainly had his issues. They just weren't as public yeah. as Trevor Bauer's issues yeah. have been. Yeah, I think that's probably the the main sticking point is, you know, when Greg was on early, he said the PR disaster that would come with signing a Trevor Bauer is, is it even worth it? And I think that that's where it boils down to is, is teams don't want to sign someone that they think is going to cause a headache outside of the 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 thing that they're paid to do you're you're paid to pitch you're paid to play the sport but there are so many things that are going to be attached to every time you you your name comes up people are going to ask questions and i think the the pr part of it just from a from an organization standpoint i think that's the part that keeps teams away and i think with the situation with Carlos Martinez, yes, the Cardinals did stick with him for a while. But when they brought him in as a minor league player, he didn't have those problems, but he, he was their problem. Mm-hmm. They brought him Ozuna without really knowing what his issues were until he got here. And then once they found out about him, they let him walk. Yeah. They, they got him out of here and had no interest in bringing him back. That's Marcelo Ozuna. And if you're a business person, You say, do I bring a problem in? It's one thing to have a problem that becomes a problem when when you've already got the problem. But it's another thing altogether to bring in a thing that you know is going to be an issue. And obviously with 50, nearly 52% of the people 
voting against getting Trevor Bauer in there, I would think that the Cardinals would look at that as a problem. We do appreciate you weighing in with your mic drops here on 101 ESPN, and you can use that. Heck, you don't have to talk. You, we don't have to ask you. If you ever have opinion, an opinion about what we're talking about, feel free to use that mic drop feature with the 101 ESPN app. Coming up, we're going to talk some blues with John Kelly here on the opening drive with Kerry and Randy on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. We're talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Blues booth. Presented by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors, a proud partner of your St. Louis Blues. Find your perfect new floor at our four convenient locations and online at BoardwalkHardwood.com. Kerry Davis, Randy Carricker, and we go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. John Kelly, the TV voice of the Blues, joins us here on 101 ESPN. J.K., good morning. How you doing? I'm doing well, Randy. How are you guys? Everything's good. I want to start with this. As the Blues play back-to-back against Calgary with the Flames in town for the second time tonight, you're a pro and you work exceptionally hard. Is the job easier in a situation like this where you have a back-to-back or when when you have a playoff series? You know Calgary very well anyway, but you just saw him on Tuesday. Is your preparation for tonight any different than it is for a team that you haven't seen for a month? Yeah, it's a lot It's a lot easier, quite honestly. And it's like a playoff series, you're right. And, you know, you, you already have your notes and the players and things like that. And, you know, you can update them and, you know, we'll go to the morning skate today and update the stories and the lines and things like that. But, yeah, um, compared to, say, doing a game that you haven't seen a team for three or four months, it's probably about, you know, 50% easier to, to do a game like this. And, and calling the game, Randy, um, it, it's a lot easier, obviously, because you just saw them two nights ago. So, Hey, John, are you all at all surprised by uh, their play since Vladdy and O'Reilly have gone down to injury? Well, you know, I think, Kerry, in one respect, a little bit because of, of the depth of competition. I mean, the Blues on that road trip, they, you know, won some games in some tough buildings, including Toronto and Minnesota, and, and the Calgary Flames are, are a good team as well. So, um, but I think I said this a couple of weeks ago when the injuries happened, is that oftentimes when a team experiences key injuries and multiple injuries um, for a short time, you know, the work ethic, number one, goes up, and you can sustain that. Um, obviously, long-term, you're going to feel the impact of their losses. But, you know, I think that the players and the team feels like you're going to be embarrassed if you don't work hard because you're, you're missing all these key players. So, um, yeah, I think the work ethic has gone up, and that's certainly helped the Blues in, in the short term here. And, obviously, we were all – concerned about the the goals against and it's been an issue for the Blues but it seems like just from a systemic standpoint with these kids that have come up from Springfield there is a little bit more structure yeah I I think overall the Blues in the last you know three or four weeks really since that road trip before Christmas Randy they they've been a better defensive team Um, now they're still allowing a, a lot of goals on on some nights I mean they allowed a lot of goals on that last road trip until the shutout in Minnesota. I, I think the other night against Calgary was a was a stark example of, of what you can do when you work hard. And to me, in the first two periods, the Blues weren't nearly as engaged as the Calgary Flames. And the Flames, to me, they owned the corners and the boards, and they won the 50-50 puck battles. In the third period, the Blues came out, and they turned that around. 
and they were the better team, obviously, and they came back and scored those two goals and, and really had another goal that was called back. But to me, you know, defensive play, a lot of it, you know, it is structure, and it's more structured than it, it ever has been before, Randy and, and Kerry. But to me, a lot of it's hard work, and it's just paying the price. And I think the Blues in the third period the other night, they paid the price, and obviously it led to those goals and, and didn't allow any goals in their own net. Hey, you and uh, Panger were talking about that second period. It seemed like the, the Flames were in the blue zone often and, and putting a lot of pressure on them but were, weren't able to score any goals. How do the Blues prevent those type of scenarios from happening where you know they can get out of their zone and, and get into the offensive zone and, and put pressure on the opposing teams as opposed to facing that much pressure during one period? Well, I really think, again, it comes down to two things. It comes down to execution when you're under pressure. And the Calgary Flames under Daryl Sutter, they have a a really big team, big forwards. They try to really forecheck hard and physically knock you out of the ballpark. So you have to execute well and make, you know, good good decisions in your own zone and, and good passes. And I thought in the third period, the Blues did a better job. So, Again, I think that's the number one is execution. And, and again, it's paying the price and working hard and, and winning puck battles. I mean, if you're at the game or you watch the game on television, you know, how many times does the puck go to the corner or go to the wall or whatever, and two guys fight for it, and it's a puck battle. So, I mean, if you win the majority of the puck battles, you're probably going to do pretty well in the game. I, I know it's simplifying things to a degree, but – that's what it comes down to. It's execution and puck battles, and um, that's especially against a team like Calgary that, that likes to, to really be in your face in all three zones, it's important to do that. John Kelly, TV voice of the Blues, with us on the opening drive on 101 ESPN. And for those that aren't aware of it, J.K. literally grew up around or following the Blues. And with that as a backdrop, John, I said the other day, yesterday, to Kerry, and I asked Bernie Federko, if there have ever been three more gifted players together on the Blues than Kairou, Thomas, and Buchnevich. When you look at the skill level, now I'm not talking about quality of play yet, but when you look at the skill level, the closest I can come is Bernie, Mullen, and Gilmore. There haven't been many threesomes that can play like this that have the ability that these guys do. Yeah, um, obviously you can't leave out um, Brad Hall and Adam Oates when they were together. Now, you mentioned three guys, so... You know, they played with different players, Randy, but, you know, that's a good point. And those three guys have, as you said, they have the ability to to beat you with, with shots, and as Kyra did the tying goal the other night, and, and their passing is just incredible. And, and I think that's the thing that separates that line and that threesome is all three guys see the ice so well, and they're all smart players. So I think it's a lot of fun to, to watch that. Obviously, they had a great third period. I think at times they pass up shots, as, as we have documented, as, as you guys know if you watch the games. Um, but, you know, they're really fun to watch. So I, I think in Blues history, as far as, as you said, as pure skill, they're certainly right up there with any, any trio. Hey, John, that fourth line uh, seems to play with so much energy. And, and Alexandrov getting his second goal of his career, uh, it seems to be the, the type of goal that would, would make Craig Berube smile, you know, a shot on on net, on goal and, and following up and getting the rebound and putting it in the back of the net. What have you seen from that fourth line and what have you seen from, from Alexandrov in his first few games? 
Well, I, I've been impressed with him. And, you know, that's what I just was talking about with the, with the Cairo line is sometimes they don't shoot the puck. Mm-hmm. And that goal the other night by Alexandrov was a prime example of why you should shoot the puck and play a direct game, especially when you are behind in the game and you need goals. I mean, Santini put a harmless shot on goal and Markstrom coughed up a juicy rebound and, you know, Alexandra goes to the net and he knocks it in. So what I've seen from that line is they've been really good together. And I think in, in particular, Torpchenko has picked up his game. Um, you know, remember he, he had surgery last year and, and missed camp, didn't play any preseason games, and then had a tough start, I think primarily because of, uh, of missing camp. And then he went down for a while. And then in the last month or so, he's, he's the player that he was a year ago. So I, I think that he's picked up his game, and Tyler Pitlick has been a better player in the last three or four weeks with that line. So maybe, you know, you always talk about chemistry and things like that, and maybe those three, for whatever reason, have developed chemistry, and who knows what we have here going down the, going down the road. But they've been really good, and I know Bruby likes to use them um, like he did in, in, you know, 19 with that Steen line. Um, he likes his fourth line. So if they can give him and the Blues some good minutes, that's fantastic. Finally, John Kelly's dad, Dan Kelly, if he wasn't the best hockey play-by-play man in history, he was, as Tony LaRusso would say, tied for first. And, John, I know you and your family were thrilled a couple of days ago to find out that your dad has been elected to the National Sports Media Association Hall of Fame. And it's great to keep the Dan Kelly name and legacy alive so that more people are aware of how great your dad was. Well, thanks, Randy, for the kind words. Yeah, when I was called about a week ago and was told that he won that honor, um, obviously it was fantastic news, and um, there will be an induction ceremony in June in South Carolina. So it's it's unbelievable, really, when you consider that he's still winning awards and going in the Hall of Fame, Randy, and he, he passed away in 1989. So um, his legacy and his talent and all his great work lives on to this day, which is unbelievable. And I'll say this, and you're aware of it, but your dad was a terrific football announcer. He was a terrific baseball announcer. He did Cardinal games in addition to hockey. And I produced Dan Kelly on Sports Open Line and still one of the great pros ever. Your dad was not just a hockey announcer. He was just a great professional broadcaster. Well, it's nice of you to say again. I I agree. I think especially football, you know, talking about other sports, he was a, he was an excellent football announcer. As a matter of fact, one year he was one of the, the CBS announcers um, that worked every week on NFL football games. But yeah, I remember those days, especially with uh, my dad and Bill Wilkerson doing the games, Mizzou or Big Red games. Uh, a lot of fun. I spotted for him many nights, Randy, um, sitting next to him in, in the booth. And he was a terrific football announcer. Well, we're, we're glad that he's being honored again. And, J.K., we're always honored that you join us on Thursday mornings here on 101 ESPN. And we'll be tuned in tonight on Bally Sports for the Blues and the Flames. Okay, guys. Thank you. Talk to you later. That is John Kelly, the TV voice of the Blues, joining us on the opening drive. We've got the fight coming up, but we don't have a fighter yet. So if you'd like to text in to 314-399-9646, or if you use the letters 314-399-YOHO, you can text in now with the word fight and perhaps be the fighter here on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Welcome to the fight. In the red corner, Average Joe Listener. 
Opening Drive. I'm Sherry Davis, joined by Matthew Rocchio, and it is time for the fight. And our fighter today is Jared. Jared, how are you doing this morning? Good, Kerry. How you doing? Doing well, doing well. Are you ready for the fight? Yeah, I'm ready. All right, here we go. Who is the only non-quarterback in NFL history to win multiple MVP awards? Is it Paul Paul Horning, Walter Payton, or Jim Brown? Uh, let's go Walter Payton. All right, RIP to Charles White. Charles White's Heisman victory in 1979 stopped which Big 8 running back from becoming just the second person to ever win back-to-back Heisman trophies? Was that Terry Miller, Billy Sims, or Earl Campbell? Go with Earl Campbell. Happy birthday to Tim Horton. Which NFL, sorry, which NHL franchise did the eventual coffee mogul play for the overwhelming majority of his career? Was it the Montreal Canadiens, the New York Rangers, or the Toronto Maple Leafs? Uh, Let's go with the Toronto Maple Leafs. All right, and happy birthday to Neek. Dominique Wilkins was one of the greatest in-game dunkers ever, and that prestige earned him one of the best NBA nicknames. What was that nickname? Was it Chocolate Thunder? Human Highlight Film, or Chairman of the Boards? It was the Human Highlight Film. All right, we'll double-check our scores, and we will bring in Randy Carricker. How you feeling? Oh, a little rough. I know I got one right. That's about it. Just one? You only you only feeling well? I mean, you, you never know. I'm only know. feeling one. You, you, you said it again? I'm only feeling one I got. Okay, well, you never know. We uh, You still got an opportunity, an opportunity to beat Megamind. He actually comes in... With some popcorn? Some, protein crisps. Uh, oh, protein crisps. Uh, that's yeah. a new one. Randy, are you on a health kick to Slim begin the 80s, man? Okay, let's get it. Let's yeah. go. No soda. Propel. One soda on the year. Still. Well, still, and that was January 2nd. Yeah. All right. I needed some caffeine that day. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Randy, say hello to Jared. Jared, good morning. How are you? Hey, Randy. Long time listener. How you guys? Doing great. Thank you very much for listening. We do appreciate it, and thanks for playing today. No problem. Here we go, Randy. All right. Who is the only non-QB in NFL history to win multiple MVP awards? Uh, This is a good one. Um, Non-quarterback. So I don't think Jerry Rice won two. I don't think Lawrence Taylor won two. Um, Non-quarterback to win two. I think I might have to go with Jim Brown. Because he was so dominant. Marshall didn't win two. Ladanian Tomlinson didn't win two. OJ Simpson, I don't think, won two. I think I'll go with uh, I think I'll go with Jim Brown. R.I.P. to Charles White. Charles White's Heisman victory in 1979 stopped which eight which big eight running back from winning back to back Heisman trophies. 1979. Mm-hmm. So that means somebody won in 1978 they that did. was from the Big 8. They did, in fact, award a winner. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like how you did that, Rock. I hadn't, heard of the, the flu of, <laughs> I hadn't heard of the flu of 1978, but I was just making sure it didn't happen. Okay. I, I have my years <laughs> messed up here. So I'm thinking Johnny Rogers or Joe Washington... Oh, you know who I'm missing, though. 79. 
drafted in 80. That would be one Billy Sims from the University of Oklahoma. That's my guess. I'm going with it. All right. Happy birthday to Tim Horton. Which NHL franchise did the eventual coffee mogul play for the overwhelming majority of his career? I believe he was a Detroit Red Wing. Even though he uh, had a lot of Tim Hortons in Toronto. All right. And happy birthday to Neek Dominique Wilkins, one of the greatest in-game dunkers ever, and that prestige earned him one of the best NBA nicknames ever. What was that nickname, Randy Carricker? I believe Dominique was the human highlight film, if I'm not mistaken. God, that was such a good nickname. It's great. All the ones. By the way, you you already gave your answer, and Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to announce the winner here in a moment, but... I'm gonna go. I want to go over the other put ones I put okay. in there because there's nothing I love better than old school great NBA nicknames. Mm-hmm. And so, did that question put Jared over the top? And did he stop Megamind from another win? You're trying to go for another clean sweep week here as you're back for your first full week for the first time in about three or four weeks. Oh, yeah. So, can Randy go into a Friday with the shutout on the table, or is Jared? Going to rattle everybody's cages going into the weekend ring. That bell. The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. The fight is driven by Mobile On The Run. Join the On The Run STL Wash Club for a limited time offer of $5 a month. Download the app today. Just win, baby. Oh, I'm so sorry, Jared. Randy just got you a 3-2 win in the fight for Randy Carricker. Jared, that was an impressive showing for you today. Hey, no problem. Randy's tough. You guys are great. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Appreciate it. Yes, he is. And let's go through those questions. Who is the only non-quarterback in NFL history to win multiple MVP awards? He pulled in three, and it was, in fact, Jim Brown who did it. Charles White's Heisman victory in 1979 stopped at which Big A running back from winning back-to-back Heisman trophies? Technically, it is the closest anyone has come since Archie Griffin to repeating because no winner has ever finished second other than Oklahoma's Billy Sims when he lost to Charles White in 1979. Happy uh, One quick aside, I was mentioning this the other day. Barry Switzer was recruiting Billy Sims, went in at halftime of a game against Mizzou in which Oklahoma was hammering Mizzou and called Billy Sims and said, hey, here's what we're doing to Missouri. Just, just want to tell you. And like Billy Sims said, oh, okay, I'll, I'm coming. <laughs> halftime of a game he's calling to recruit. Uh, Randy, this was a rare one for you. Happy birthday to Tim Horton, which NHL franchise so the eventual was coffee Toronto? mogul, played the overwhelming majority of his career. It was Toronto. He never played for the Red Wings. Didn't he? Okay. I was, for some reason, I thought, I thought he did. But yeah, Toronto, eh? Rarely, if you get one eh. wrong, you're not doing, is it not even in my, my it's, selections? It's, it's, it's not a donut <laughs> quiz. It's a sports <laughs> quiz. Fair point. I didn't ask you what the number one selling item was, which I think are the, the, don- the donut holes they have. Um, happy birthday to Dominique Wilkins, one of the greatest in-game dunkers. It gave him one of the best nicknames ever. He was, in fact, the human highlight film. I asked Carrie this before we uh, came on to the fight. My other two options that I gave people, Randy, were Chocolate Thunder and the Chairman of the Boards. Chairman of the boards is a rebounder. Only guy other than Bill Russell who ever was able to slow down Will Chamberlain? Um, okay, so this would have been a 60s or 70s center. I'm going to say that it was Wes Unsell? Nate Thurman. Nate Thurman, is known okay. as Chairman of the Boards. A great nickname for him. And that, by the way, is our fight. A 3-2 win for Randy Carricker. Jared, again, thank you so much for joining the fight and joining the show today. All right, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All right, thank you very much. Uh, we're going to get to our Blues midseason report in a moment. But I have a question, Kerry Davis. Yes, sir. Get a text, and I get a lot of this on social media too. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that every sports person does. If the Cardinals played in another division, 
they wouldn't have near the success that they have. If you were in charge of putting teams in divisions and you had a West, a Central, and an East, where is St. Louis mm-hmm. in the America and yeah, like on the U.S. Man? Dead smack in the middle in the Central. Does it make sense for St. <laughs> Louis to be anywhere else but the Central Division? Well, I, I think maybe these are the same people who put together the the NFC West some years ago when Atlanta was in the. Oh, that's NFC what they want. Yeah. <laughs> you had the, the initial <laughs> NFC West when the Rams moved here was the Falcons, Saints, <laughs> Panthers, Rams, and Niners. Just put them anywhere. <laughs> just just name it. So that's Whatever what they you want. Yeah, okay. yeah, it doesn't matter. Okay. Wasn't, wasn't, there, wasn't there a point when the, Fal- when the Falcons were in the NFC West and the Cardinals were in the NFC East because they were playing yes. against the yeah. Cowboys for, for a few of those years? Yeah. Yeah. That is the – man, divisions really used to mean nothing. By the way, my apologies to Tim Hortons because I didn't know they were called Tim's Bits, but I actually don't apologize because she came here for like two months and then pulled Left. out and never got a chance to go. So you know what? I'm not sorry for not knowing that it's called Tim's Bits. How am I supposed to know that? Exactly. <laughs> Coming up next, we actually made some Blues predictions before the season started. We're past the midpoint now, but just past. So how are we looking? That's next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. underway in October, Carrie and I made our predictions about the St. Louis Blues, how individuals would do and how the team would do as a group. And at the midpoint of the season, we're going to bring you up to date on how we think we're doing, or how you might think we're doing, mm-hmm. which doesn't look great right now. Nah, not, not so great. All right. Uh, number one in goals on the St. Louis Blues, and we had to give a number. CD, I took Pavel Buchnevich, who at the moment in 33 games, because he missed some time with injury, only has 14. So he's probably on a pace where he, he might get to 30. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah. How, how'd you do on that one? Uh, well, Randy, you know, I picked Tarasenko. And then uh-huh. I said 42. I was thinking contract year, you know, uh, potentially getting traded, maybe not, maybe sticking around, maybe getting a new deal. I figured he would he would excel. Um, right now, he has uh, 10 goals, and he's out for a few more weeks with a hand. So neither of us are looking so great. Nah, not great. Not great. But, but right. hey, the number was about right. Jordan Cairo and I sitting at 20. Yeah, on pace for around 40. You guessed 42 for Tarasenko. You had 41 down for Booch. Right or wrong there about the, the Blues actually having a 40-point score so far. Yeah, but we had the wrong Goal score. Yeah, yeah, but it happens. I know. I'm trying, to find, <laughs> trying to find something, you know. Okay. We're homers on the show. Robert Thomas has played in 41 games. Mm-hmm. And, CD, I had him as a 100-point score this year. 25 goals, 75 assists. Right now he's at 11 and 28 through his 41 games played. Yeah, I had him at, at 91 points and, you know, 39. I think we're, we're both of us are still... Uh, in in contention for for him to to make that number, you may be. We'll see how how the end of the season, how the hot. second half of the season goes. <laughs> he he got some some point scoring, goal scoring to do. Uh, we I think we still get there though. With he and Kairu playing on the same line, I would not be surprised if he did wind up leading the Blues and scoring though. Yeah, I think he's gonna. I think that number is gonna gonna spike up here in the next, hopefully, in the next couple of weeks. They got a home stand. They got some some games here where he can get some, you know, stay home and not have to do all the traveling. Mm-hmm. 
get back into the the routine of things. All right, team MVP, who you got? I, I picked Robert Thomas, and I think I'm still still maybe on on point You're on par good. for for that for that pick. Um, he's like I said, he's he's playing well. Uh, you know, the captain is out in O'Reilly, and he's he's really taking over that role or trying to take over that role to be become more of the leader of that team on the ice. And I I, I like my pick for for player of the year. So my MVP was the same one that I picked to lead the team in goals, Pavel Buchnevich. Only 33 games played, and he's only three points behind Thomas, five points behind Kairu in points, and he's become a really good player, and I think he'll actually benefit by playing with those two guys mm-hmm. that he's trailing in points. So, Buchnevich, I think, still has a chance to be this team's MVP. Yeah. I- if he has like a crazy run where he puts in like twenty five percent of his shots on like a, like across like a ten or fifteen game stretch, he could with that line he could he could put himself back in the MVP conversation for the team. I think. And his season shooting percentage is twenty one point two, pretty impressive. Okay, biggest surprise. I picked our our friend who we nicknamed who who Michelle wasn't uh, agreeable in this nickname, but Nadab. That's why we got rid of her. <laughs> She wouldn't agree to the nickname. (laughs) (laughs) We love you, Michelle. (laughs) Yeah, we do. Uh, CD, he has yet to score a goal. (sighs) Not, not great, Randy. No, I'm sorry. He has one. I thought he had one. He's got one. He's got three. He's got three points points in twenty four in twenty four games played. Not not what you wanted to see from Nato. Not great. And. I suggested that Bucinavich would lead the team in goals and uh, also be their MVP, which would inherently make him the biggest surprise. So if Bucinavich goes on that run in the second half, I still think he has a chance to be the biggest surprise. Do you think we missed the mark on on those two picks? Who who would be the, the, the biggest surprise for this year? I don't At this think point, there right now, is a positive. Surprise. You know what I think? You know who I think it would be? Our boy, Callie Rose. Yes, Callie Rose. Oh, yeah, yes. yeah, that would be call. the biggest surprise of the year yeah. so far. He's got 11 points in 25 yeah. games. He's what is he third on? He's third on total defensive scoring behind Falk, uh, Krug, and sorry, he's right behind Pareko. So fourth on defensive scoring. That's pretty impressive yeah. for that guy. Callie, Callie you got to listen to the show. You're listening, Callie. I know mm-hmm. you are. Hey, we're, we're supporting. We're a Callie Rosen fans here. Maybe. Well, at least I am. Mm-hmm. Just maybe. My dark horse pick for that was always going to be Torpchenko. Maybe after what you heard J.K. say earlier today, maybe that fourth line I, 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 starts getting listen. some heft. And it, it, if it's consistent for the next 30, 40 games, I, know, maybe maybe Torpchenko is that, that fourth liner and he develops with the, with his size and speed the way I kind of hoped he would. I like that fourth line. I like Tyler Pitlick. The energy that they play with when they're they're on the ice, they know they're not going to be out there alone. They're going to give you – they're going <laughs> to exert themselves and give you mm-hmm. what they got and then hit straight to the – get straight to the bench. But they are going to, for for however long, 30 seconds, 40, whatever it is, they're gonna, you're going to know that they're making an impact in, in that time frame. So I like that line. And then we picked the division finish for your St. Louis Blues. I picked them to finish fourth in the division. Right now they sit fourth. In the division, you are you are spot on, but I am I am on the come up. I am, we're on the rise. We're we're trending in the right <laughs> direction, Randy. Uh, we're four and one in the last five games, if, that, if I'm not mistaken. One, two since, in a row yeah. since the since the injury to Tarasenko and O'Reilly. We are we're going to make a run here in this division. With that kind of optimism, Kerry, you picked them like second. I'm guessing. To, to to in the division you must you must have picked them like you know pretty pretty high. Oh, no, like I picked them first. Oh, you picked them first. <laughs> yeah, I picked oh, them first. Okay, okay. Yeah, I, I had them win the division. I, I had them. Hey, Randy, they call you a homer, Randy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is this is homerish right here. <laughs> in, in fairness, in fairness, Kerry knew that the Avalanche were going to completely fall in their face. There and he you thought, go. There's no way any other team but the Blues steps up in their in their absence. Come on, guys. The this stars is ours up there. Kerry we beat the we beat the Wild. Yeah, we hockey beat the analyst, Jets. Hockey analyst, Kerry. Our way. 
Right he, there. He was sitting there in October and said, let's do this hockey. Let's do this hockey. <laughs> That's what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> so there you have it. Hopefully the Blues will pick it up. Hopefully uh, Butchnevich and Thomas will have spectacular second halves. And Nadub and the Blues will overcome that 11-point deficit and beat Dallas out for the division title on the last day of the season. That's Kerry. I'm Randy. That's Matthew. And coming up yesterday, we matched coaches to coach openings. Next up, we're going to match quarterbacks to potential quarterback openings. That's coming your way on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Here's a list of teams that don't have a quarterback cemented in. There there may be a quarterback on the roster that is going to be the guy, but their quarterback situation is not in cement for 2023. These NFL teams are the 49ers, the Raiders, the Colts, the Texans, Titans, and Buccaneers, the Saints, Panthers, Packers, Commanders, and Jets. We've got a list of quarterbacks, starting with the, the rookie, okay? We don't know who it is, but rookie. Uh, the other quarterbacks that may be connected to those teams, and there's some guys that are only connected to one team, but the question is, are they going to be the starter? Brock Purdy, Derek Carr, Tom Brady, Jimmy G, Jameis Winston, Aaron Rodgers, Ryan Tannehill, Mike White, Zach Wilson, Baker Mayfield, Gardner Minshew, or Matt Ryan, who I think is pretty locked in with the Colts, but is he locked in as a starter? No. So we're going to connect... Quarterbacks to teams today. That's our exercise, CD, and we're going to start right. with the San Francisco 49ers. Well, if I if I'm the San Francisco 49ers, you you obviously seen what Brock Purdy has been able to do. I think he's your starter going forward. Uh, I think Jimmy G is gonna you know he'll be elsewhere, and then you got Trey Lance coming off an injury. You don't know how he's going to respond, but if if Brock Purdy does all of the things that he's done thus far in the playoffs, uh, I believe he's your starter next year. Agreed. Doesn't matter what Trey yep. Lance does. Yep. Purdy has been so good for them. He's got to be the guy. All right, next team, the Raiders. This one is a tough one, Randy. And and there are a couple of quarterbacks that that stand out, two probably being Brady and Garoppolo. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, having the familiarity, Brady, with, with, with McDaniels and understanding his offense and what he's done. Um, I'm, I can't remember if Garoppolo actually was there at the same time as McDaniels was when he came before he left. I think he, I think he may yeah. have been. They may have crossed paths as well. So uh, those two in in um, Las Vegas would be two names that I would look at. I don't think Brady returns to to Tampa. I think that that you know that door is going to close after this season. And so uh, I would say one of those two, and I would probably lean. Interesting enough, I would probably lean more towards Garoppolo than than Brady. I'm going with Brady. Okay, back with McDaniel's and going to to Sin City. He's got nothing else. He's not going home to the family anymore. <laughs> Randy, I'm just saying. <laughs> uh, the Colts. The Colts are going to get a rookie. They I have, have them as rookies. Yeah, as well. I think they are. They are sixth in the draft right now. And they have had so many issues at quarterback. You've had uh, Carson Wentz. You've had Matt Ryan. You had Phillip Rivers. All of these things started happening. You had Jacoby Brissett. You've had so many people, you know, start games since 
since the uh, the retirement of Andrew Luck, and now I think they're going to have to go out and draft a guy. They may move up in the draft. The the, the Bears are talking about trading trading the number one or, or maybe trading Justin Fields. There's an opportunity for you to get up in front of Houston Texans, the Houston Texans, who you know are probably going to be drafting as well. Uh, and I think you go for a rookie there in Indianapolis. I don't think there's a single quarterback on our veteran list where a new coach walks in and says, nah. "If I get him, no. that's going to help me in my first year." So and I'm they've with you. done it already. They, they've yeah. they've They've tried it and failed multiple times. Right. So I'm with you there. All right, the Houston Texans are next. I think that's a rookie situation as well. When you look at the quarterbacks on this list, there's not one that you would say – uh, would be would be sufficient enough to help that franchise and go in the right direction. They have to hit the reset button and go ahead and get a quarterback to to make sure that they can that that franchise guy um, that can get their their team going in the correct direction. I am with you. I, I've got the Texans going with a rookie as well, which brings us to the Titans. This is an interesting one. Um, Do you know what I got? Who you got? Aaron Rodgers. That would that that's that's Ooh. in my mind as well. That I mean, trading a, a Aaron Rodgers. Um, to the to the to the Tennessee Titans would not be a a bad idea. We were just looking at the the TV. They they owe him fifty eight million dollars if he plays next year. The Packers well, would. The thing is though, the dead money if they get rid of him this year. I think we talked about it. Yeah, it's like forty one. But then if he plays next year, it goes up to. 51 ne- yeah. after next year, and then I think 78 if he plays the year after that. I don't know why, but Aaron Rodgers in a Titans uniform sounds like exactly the same thing as Emmitt Smith in a Cardinals uniform. Like, it does not sound like it would look right at all. Like, it would, Joe Montana in a Chiefs jersey. Like, there's sometimes where Joe Montana looked player, great in a Chiefs jersey. He actually I, did. I, thought, oh, man. I, I hated it. It hurt as my someone soul. Who, as someone who grew up only seeing highlights of Joe Montana as, as a 49er, and then finally, like, one day was like, oh, yeah, he went to the Chiefs, and then saw it, I was like, this is. Startling to me. I don't, I don't the, like this. The weirdest one was Jerry Rice in a Seattle Seahawks that's, uniform. Yeah, that's a good one. That's, that's a good one. Yes. Yeah, he didn't look. Is he again? And Franco weird. in a Seahawks uniform. The that transition was, yeah, was to Oakland wasn't that the crazy. The Oakland transition like, wasn't crazy. Tom Brady in, the, in a Buccaneers jersey hasn't looked, didn't look that odd from day one. But for some reason, I picture Rodgers in a Titans jersey, and it feels really off. How about the Jets then? It feels even oh, oh that feels, feels even Farmer looked good in a Jets jersey. He did. He did. That's not. You're not wrong. He, he looked bad. I don't see. I don't see him right I don't either. So, right. uh, I where do you have a Rod going? I had a Rod. Uh, well, Tennessee for Tennessee. I had. I mean, I, I could see. I could see a an Aaron Rodgers type of deal. Uh, I don't think Tannehill is back there. You got you know the young kid Malik Willis. I actually think. That Joshua Dobbs gets an opportunity uh, there, um, and is and is you know he's he's a six year guy been struggling trying to find a place where would give him an opportunity. I was I would like to see Joshua Dobbs get that opportunity in Tennessee because he's played well in his in his couple of starts that he had. Okay, now it's getting more difficult here. Oh, yeah, the Buccaneers. Oh, <sighs> so I don't know where they're drafting in the in the draft. I, I I'm assuming it's later. Could I have thirty two. It could be it could be that that far back. Well, well, yeah, yeah. Uh, thirty one, I guess. Because oh yeah, thirty one, right? <laughs> the, the Dolphins the don't have Steelers a have number thirty two. Yep. Um, I'm gonna say, I think they. I think who do they have there now? They got a Kyle, backup. Trask. Kyle Trask is the. So we're gonna go. I will say they will if Brady is not there. Kyle Trask and they draft a rookie later round, not in the first round, but a later round rookie. I agree with you. I yeah. was going to say Kyle Trask also, and that's not great for our friend Blaine Gabbert, but he's been there a long time. Such he's had a good life. career, yeah. and I, you just don't start, unless you have Geno Smith, you don't get a guy yeah. started at 32. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> so I, I'm going Trask as well. All right. Uh, New Orleans Saints. This is an interesting one as well, and I think, 
I think they go back to Jameis Winston. Wow. I, I think that, that, I mean, the Andy Dalton experiment was an interesting one to begin with. Jameis got hurt, you know, midway through the season, early in the season, I think week three or four, and didn't get an opportunity to get his starting job back. And it's not like Andy Dalton was just a world beater. And so he wasn't wasn't doing anything spectacular to keep that job. I think they look at Jameis Winston uh, and give him an opportunity to start there and probably draft a rookie in the draft later round, uh, draft pick someone they can bring in to to learn and groom under under Jameis Winston. I think... The Saints get Gardner Minshew. Ooh, I like that. That is a, a Gardner Minshew is a is a is a very good backup quarterback and a a a very he, he's probably the best of the backup mm-hmm. quarterbacks and that's what you want for a guy that could be potential starter um, and and work his way into into that position. It seems to and fit he what they started games before, right? And athletic fit, fit, kind of fits what they've been trying to. Uh, well, let's put it this way. Uh, they play Taysom Hill a lot. Yeah. Minshew can do a lot of the things that yeah. Taysom Hill yeah. does when he comes into a game. So I've got Minshew going there. Carolina Panthers. Oh, I'm going to go draft pick there. I think they're going to go with a rookie, uh, find someone in the draft. They are Sam Darnold, P.J. Walker. Matt you know, they had, Matt, Well, they do have Matt Corral, but, but he didn't even get an opportunity to play this year with all of the injuries that they had. So He was injured. He, oh, was he injured? Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe, maybe that's where you look and you stay with what you have. Um, I that's going to be a tough one. I don't know if they're in the market for a free agent, a a free agent quarterback for that room. CD, I'm going to assume that Jim Harbaugh is their coach, and they do plan to start Matt Corral eventually. Mm-hmm. But I think their placeholder is Tannehill. Wow. Okay. That that would be. There's some movement going on. Okay. I oh, like yeah. that. I'm, I'm setting this league up, baby. <laughs> I like that. All right. So. Uh, and you've got status quo, Darnold until yeah, Darnold until ready. until one of the the other guys are, are ready to roll. Okay, Packers. I think we'll both agree on right. It's Jordan Love. Yeah, yeah, no Jordan doubt Love. about it. Yep. Uh, Washington Commanders. Ooh, Randy, what a mess. That's a that is a <laughs> that is a show to see, a, a sight to behold. I don't know. I, you know what? They may stay with Carson Wentz and 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 Taylor Heineke and let those guys duke it out, and then also draft a guy. Um, you I know, think to they see, have to draft yeah, a guy. Yeah, they, they got to figure out who they can get in that in that lineup in that in that as a starting quarterback for them to figure out how they're going to go forward and, and actually be you know a very good team. It did not and help got, them. And Sam Howe was a was a guy that they brought in. Boy, he, does he have an arm! He, he he's got he's got a you you might maybe maybe you stand pat with, with the three quarterbacks you have on the roster right now. They went eight, eight, and one, so they draft actually in the bottom half of the draft. Yeah, so it's going to be hard for them to find that guy in the draft this year. But they gave Sam Howell that start to yep. to see to find He's out. He's a fifth round pick from from last year's yep. draft rookie. He might not. He might not. You you probably stand pat with what you so, got, Kerry. Here's the thing. I and I, th- I think I know where you're going to go here. But I think Jimmy G lands there. In Washington? Yep. That would not be a bad... That's not a bad position for him, actually. Not not bad. And there's the, so and there will still be a guy when the music stops for the Jets. And so, for me, it would be Tom Brady. I mean, it would be... Um, it would be... Yeah, it would be Tom Brady. Okay. I, I, I wouldn't mind seeing wow. Tom Brady in, be interesting. In, in New York. It, because... You have the the familiarity with the division already. You 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 would be able to play New England a couple mm-hmm. of times a year. Uh, 
maybe that's a place, a young core group of guys, good running back when Brees Hall is back, good defense. That that might be a spot where, you know, instead of going back to New England, maybe shut the door on New England and, and be able to win the division from there. I've got Derek Carr in New York. We with forgot the Jets. about Derek Carr, didn't we? I forgot about Derek Carr. He's got to go somewhere. You know what? I'm going to put Derek Carr in the Saints. Oh, that's a good play, too. That's a really <laughs> nice Derek play. Derek Carr in the Saints. I, I, that's a really nice I completely play. forgot him at the top of the list. Yes. So the guys that, for me, that don't have jobs when the when the music stops, Matt Ryan, who I think, like I said, stays in Indy, probably Not is a, starter, a placeholder. Yep. Baker Mayfield, Zach Wilson, Mike White. One of those guys is going to be the backup with the Jets, though, right? Yep. Uh, so we both have Jameis sitting now, right? Because you yeah, have Yeah, because I put Carr. I, I, Jameis might be the backup there. Okay. But if you bring Carr in, to I think Carr would fit well in that in that New Orleans offense. Yeah. So actually, Zach Wilson is the guy, Baker Mayfield, uh, that are going to be sitting out. I have Jameis on the outside looking in. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be it's going to be some movement. And it's going to be. I think Tannehill is going to be the one looking outside looking in, trying to figure out where he where he's going to go. Well, he. Did throw an interception that lost them a playoff game. It's not, not a great, not a great piece of tape to have out there. Nope. No doubt about it. That's CD. I'm Randy, and that's today's big thing on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to talk to Jeremy Rutherford, our Blues insider from the Athletic. He's got a great piece up about Brett Hall today at the Athletic, and we're going to talk about it next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive podcast on 101 ESPN, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. Gary, Randy, and on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line is our friend, our Blues Insider from The Athletic, the one, the only, Jeremy Rutherford. Good morning, sir. How you doing? Good morning, Randy. Kerry, how you guys doing? I'm doing great. Doing wonderful. So the Athletic is counting down the 100 best players in modern NHL history from 99 to number one, and we know who number one is. Uh, So you've got number 22 this morning at the Athletic, one of our all-time favorites here. Yeah, Brett Hall, just so much fun to uh, to write about him. And, uh, you know, I got to tell you guys, growing up in St. Louis, uh, went to Lutheran South High School. I knew at the time I wanted to be a journalist. I was into sports writing at the time. And, uh, you know, grew up during Brett Hall's heyday. And I just remember being 18, 19 years old saying, I, I wish I could write about Brett Hall. This would be phenomenal. What a, and so to be here at The Athletic now, writing about Brett Hall as being number 22 on our list of the NHL 99, just a thrill. And to chat with him, uh, I guess it was about a month ago, uh, so awesome. And uh, I picked out a line that he had in the story, and I just tweeted it. If people didn't see the tweet, he's got so many great lines in the story today, but one of them was uh, – I asked him about trying to get open in the offensive zone. How did you do that? How were you so stealth? And he said, well, there's a reason they were defensemen. It's because they didn't get offense, so you knew they were going to make a mistake. (laughs) He's a beauty. By the way, with all due respect, Jeremy, because I think you do great work, but if you grew up in St. Louis and you couldn't wait to write about Brett Hall and now you're writing about Brett Hall, you're just a total homer. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's exactly what I am. That's what we are in the Midwest. In St. Louis, the media saw. We just lobbed the questions up there. That's what Total we've been told. Yeah. Hey, hey JR, we, uh, we did a segment ago earlier, uh, a few segments ago, um, revisiting our picks for the season for the Blues. And I picked my number one goal scorer as Tarasenko. Uh, it's not looking great for me. <laughs> Who is going to be the guy that is, that is going to lead this team in goals? Obviously, we think it's Kyrou, but is there anyone else that could sneak up there and, and start hit, putting more pressure on opposing teams offensively. Yeah, believe it or not, I was listening to the segment and I was playing along with you guys trying to remember who some of my picks were. And It has been a tough year for predictions, obviously. Uh, but uh, I, I liked your pick. I liked Tarasenko in that contract year, Kerry. And, and uh, you know, when Jordan Kyrou got off to the slow start, you thought that maybe he can't uh, get to those same numbers that he produced last year. But, you know, I think he's going to be that guy. And, you know, Buchnevich, Randy, I think he'd be up there too, but he's missed some games with that injury. And, and uh, he's starting to play really well, and now on that line with Kyra Thomas. So I think any one of those two guys, Vichnevich uh, or Kyra, should probably be the pick uh, for the remainder of the year. JR, a lot of different, differing opinions about what the Blues can be in the second half of the season. What do you think they're capable of? Well, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting. You know, you look at these numbers. I think I did it yesterday, 9-3-3. Three, and three. So they've got points in 12 of their last 15 games. And you look at without O'Reilly and Tarasenko, it's it's four and one. So hey, let's not rain on anybody's parade. Let's not you know try to say that this isn't a team that can do it. I I sat down to write a story the other day, and you know all I kept thinking about was, hey, you never know when you're going to be in for a ride. Now I think we can all be realistic and look at the situation and say that it's going to be tough. And perhaps in three weeks we're looking back and saying that we are right about that. Uh, but they're playing good hockey right now. And don't look now, if you beat Calgary, you can be in a wild card spot as of tonight. You'll be tied in points with Calgary if you win in regulation and, and Edmonton. And you've got the, uh, the season series against Calgary. So, uh, you know, it's, it's still early. There's a lot of time to go before the deadline. Things could come unglued a little bit and Doug Armstrong makes some moves. Uh, but what is this team capable of? If they can keep finding a way to get these points – and then get some of these guys back, you just don't know. Hey, JR, is this a, a glimpse of what this team could look like and may look like at the trade deadline without uh, Vladdy and O'Reilly in the, in the lineup? Do you think that this team uh, could potentially be aiming towards going forward without those two? Yeah, I really could, Kerry. You know, I think that uh, Doug Armstrong, you know, I don't want to say he's made up his mind, but I would figure that he's leaning towards trying to move those guys unless some run happens here. And I think uh, you look at this team and the way they've played without those guys, it shouldn't tell anybody that uh, they're a great team without them. I think they definitely need these guys. But the bottom line is they're assets, and teams around the league are going to be calling about them. Uh, The Blues could perhaps use some help replenishing uh, the system and and maybe hitting the reset button. And if uh, you get overwhelmed with a trade offer for whether it be O'Reilly or Tarasenko, I think that's what you have to do. So uh, with them out, the Blues have shown that they can still play a good brand of hockey, and I think we're getting a real good up-close look at that right now. If they were to trade either one of those two, what would you be looking to get back in terms of, of coming back in the trade? Yeah, so it's it's tough because of the injuries, uh, but you can look at it one of two ways, and I think we've we've done that. I think you look at uh, the the injuries to Tarasenko to the hand. Does he come back and still shoot the puck well? You know, O'Reilly, who I think everybody can agree, looks like he's lost a step a little bit. How does he look coming back from a broken foot? Um, how much time are they going to have? These guys going to have to play some games before they potentially get moved by that March third uh, trade deadline day? So. 
prior to the injuries, I was working on a piece. I talked to some people. They figured that you could get a first-round pick, maybe a guy, uh, another prospect, somebody who's been drafted in perhaps the second round in the last couple of years, something like that. Uh, perhaps the same for Vladimir Tarasenko. But now are teams still going to be thinking that rich in terms of what they'll give the Blues for these guys coming off injury? Of course, the other side of that is uh, these guys have been rested for a while when they come back. So I think teams will look at that as an advantage too. And Jr. Doug Armstrong is not going to be fooled, but we can be, right? And the Blues, after tonight, they play Tampa. Then the rest of January, you've got Ottawa, Nashville, the Hawks, and Buffalo at home. None of those teams right now are in a playoff spot. Then you go on the road to Arizona, Colorado, which is going to be probably healthy by then, and Winnipeg. So you have a chance to really be strong heading into February where you get Arizona at home, Florida at home, the Devils at home, Colorado at home, and then you're, you've got Ottawa. Carolina's going to be tough. Vancouver, the, the Penguins have struggled. Seattle is a beatable team at home. We could get to March 3rd, and the Blues could be actually comfortably into a playoff spot, but I could still see the Blues making these moves because I don't think that schedule is realistic when you compare it to what you're going to face in the playoffs. Right, that's what's going to make this complicated. It really is. And so you look at this, and they don't play a lot of good teams in the stretch. And you play 14 of 19. That includes the game the other night against Calgary at home. And there's a lot of teams, Arizona, Chicago, on your schedule like that. So that's where Doug Armstrong is going to have to look and say, okay, we've been pretty good against this competition. We're still in a pretty good spot heading into uh, the trade deadline. Uh, but where do we measure up against the good teams in the conference? And there are a few of those types of opponents you know, in, in the stretch. So I think he'll get somewhat of a look, and he's already got a good feeling about that. So I just think that you're going to have to take the glasses off and, and stack this team up against some of those playoff teams and see what you think there, and then base your decisions on that. And Jeremy, we focus on 90 and 91 because they're superstars or the highest paid guys on the team. I have to believe that Barbashev is going to have some value at the deadline, too. I think so, too, and, and I think so much so that do you try to re-up them, and I'm sure they've had some talks uh, behind the scenes, and or at least at the very least have an idea what that number could be for Barbashev. I wrote about it the other day. I touched on Barbashev. Uh, Dom at The Athletic had his uh, market value projected. I think it was around $4 million, uh, maybe a little bit more. Could that be realistic for uh, Ivan Barbashev? You know, Craig Bruby loves him. The team loves him. He can move up and down the lineup. He does so many things when he's playing well. Um, you know, so much so, Randy, that I think the Blues would like to keep him if they could, mm. if the price is right. But if he doesn't, yeah, certainly there would be interest. Hey, JR, I brought this up before, but the fact that Army said bringing these young guys up now is not a great time because the Blues play the game the wrong way. Is it a possibility that because those young guys play the game the right way, that this team could be starting to make a transition and, and going in the right direction? And, and what comes to mind is, you know, we hear Baruby talking about get to the net, get shots on net, and that play where Santini takes the shot, gets the rebound, Alexandrov gets the rebound and, and knocks it in, that's similar to what Baruby has been preaching all year and these young guys are just doing it naturally. Is it that that maybe these young guys are are bringing the right style of play uh, to this Blues team and they're all starting to catch on? Yeah, it's it's a great point because here you are worried about, okay, the team's not playing a great system. They're not playing connected. You don't want to bring these young guys in. But then you bring some of these guys in and that's the style that they're playing. And it's almost, I don't want to say leading the charge, leading the way because you still have Braden Shen, Brandon Saad, some of these guys doing a great job, Justin Falk leading this team, those guys I think are, are 
pointing the team in the right direction. But these young guys are. They're coming in, and like you said, they're playing uh, a real simple game, Kerry. So the one thing I want to add to that, and again, it's a great point, is uh, remember when we were talking about culture three or four weeks ago, and I did write about it. Hey, this is the head coach, Craig Berube, who questioned the culture in the locker room. Well, some things have changed in the last three or four weeks. The team's starting to play better. They're starting to do the things that he and, and the organization want to see. And what did Craig Ruby say a couple of days ago? He said that, I, I feel like it's back. I feel like people are, are doing the things they need to be in. That culture that we talk about is there. So, you know, does it come and go? And is it uh, really closely tied to winning? For sure, yes. But it's also incumbent upon these players to do the things that they need to do and and now we see that which we didn't see three or four weeks ago jr before we let you go i want to circle back to your piece about brett hull and it's a great piece at the athletic this morning theathletic.com if you haven't signed up what are you doing i mean you, you got to have the athletic but we're sitting here watching tage thompson on a pace for 60 goals and all of us not all of us many of us i think most of us are saying i do it again and again and again because we got the cup out of that trade do folks in Calgary feel the same way? Would they make that trade again and again and again because Rammer and Wamsley helped them get the Stanley Cup? I think they have to, right? And especially that came on the heels of all that Edmonton success and, in fact, was the reason, I think, why they made that trade. In the piece, you'll see that they talked about that within the, the doors in Calgary. You know, we are trading a what they called, Randy, was a, a guy who's going to score 40 goals in the NHL. We're <laughs> trading Brett Hall. He's going to score 40 goals in the NHL, but... We want to win the cup, and these two guys, St. Louis, is going to give us or are going to help us win the cup. So I think same situation uh, here in St. Louis. You take Ryan O'Reilly, you take the cup, and you just watch uh, Tage Thompson and, and enjoy it. Uh, but yeah, and oh by the way, Brett Hall went on to score more than forty goals in the well, season. So that's the amazing uh, thing, but, and, and you have it in there with the the exit interview with Brian Sutter. If you can just share that story. Yeah, and, and you know, I just talked to Brian Sutter about that not too long ago, and, and I know that's been talked about before, but he scores. The uh, 40-plus goals Brett Hall does, and he thinks he's going to go in the exit meeting and have a uh, terrific meeting with Brian Sutter, and Brian Sutter says, get to work. You can be better. You can be better. And when Brett Hall had his number 16 raised to the rafters at Enterprise Center, Randy, I'm sure you were there that night, uh, what did he talk about? He talked about how Brian Sutter pushed him to be better in that exit meeting with him, and he went on to become the player that he was. Awesome. Great stuff, JR. We always appreciate your time. Have a great day, great weekend. Enjoy the game tonight. We'll talk to you soon. You guys, too. Talk to you later. See you later. That's our Blues Insider from The Athletic, Jeremy Rutherford. In that meeting, Brian Sutter said, hey, you've got to move your feet more. You've got to keep moving your feet. He scored 41 goals without basically moving his feet. And then he starts moving his feet and scores 72. So, (laughs) Blues players uh, that are on your way to practice, if you're tuned in, moving your feet is a good thing. That's the importance of coaching, too. Like Not allowing you to be satisfied with having a good season when you know there's a great season you know, under the, underneath there somewhere. And, and to, to make sure you stay on your guys, and not only that, but the guys accept it and don't, you know, don't turn their back to it or get frustrated. I had 40 goals. What are you talking about? Are you saying I can get more? Yeah, mm-hmm. you can if you do these things. And, and that, that's a testament to both of those guys. Some players in every sport – have astronomical goals and and they go in with the idea that they're going to break records. Other players have no idea what they're capable of. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a uh, it's intriguing to to watch a player that you can see all of the talent and all the ability, and they are just scratching the surface, and they they just need that little bit of push, and also they have to be willing to accept it and and go forward. You generally see a guy that that takes off in his career. That's Kerry. I'm Randy. Coming up, rock and roll on 101 ESPN. Back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. 
Let's rock. Let's rock today. Curious about me. <laughs> well, Rock was doing his, his sports in an update, and he said Mizzou lost. And I said, oh, feel bad about Mizzou losing. And you said... I said, can you imagine what Texas A&M would do to Illinois? <laughs> I can appreciate that. Randy, Randy does great when, he's, when he gets to be the third party that's just sniping from the outside. <laughs> just chiming in. Yeah, Me and Rocker going back and forth. Hey, what would they do to Illinois, some, though? Just waiting for somebody to slip up and leave them open, just picking shots. Yeah, yeah, buddy. All right, what do we got for rock and roll? All right, I want to jump into a, a, some an NBA story that I thought was funny, and this was perfect because I wanted to bring up this story, and I didn't have the punctuation to really take it to the level I wanted. And then the slew game happened last night, and down at St. Louis at Chaffetz Arena, they have a little bit of a in-timeout competition where a player shoots a layup, a free throw, and a three-pointer to win $400. That's a pretty that's a pretty good amount of money. And then you can double it if you hit the next three-pointer. You double it to 800 Well, a kid who could not have been any older than like 10 last night for <laughs> SLU hit all three right out of the gate. Didn't miss a shot. Three, three for three. Got the 400 Hits the another three. Bang. Gets it. Bob Ramsey. 800 bucks <laughs> for this like 10-year-old winning it at Chaffetz Arena. Over the weekend, the Indiana Pacers did a similar giveaway where they had a adult fan shoot one half-court shot. The fan hit the half-court shot, and his award was $500. How is St. Louis University putting up $800 that is then won by a child, and the Indiana Pacers are putting up $500 only for one adult to hit a half-court shot? I'm honestly still stunned that that's what the painters, that that's what the Pacers uh, prize. And here's the thing, for SLU, it's not even like the big half-court, like, halftime thing. It's a mid-timeout, second-half, media timeout ploy. Matthew, it's Royal Banks of St. Louis and doing right. it right. Dang yeah. right. right. Royal Banks of St. Louis does it right at the Billiken Games. Have they won any NBA championships, speaking of the NBA, NBA in Pacers? Indiana Pacers? No, they have not. They won a couple ABA, correct? Yes. Well, that's why. But I mean, also, that, I, I, I see when you do people wrong, things don't happen well. I'm a firm believer in that, Rock. If you are fair. paying someone five, it was a it, it was a story some years back where a guy hit a half court shot for a car, I believe, and they and he didn't get it or or a set amount of money and the, and they they kind of welched on yeah. the bet. Uh, it, it, those things happen, and when you do that, you should never be able to uh, to win games. I just feel that way. The only the only explanation I saw that I thought was remotely funny is that somebody says, "Well, in fairness, it is a crowd in Indiana, and their basketball <laughs> shooting ability is kind of different." And I was like, "Well, that's that's the only reasonable explanation I can have." Man. But I, I thought that was good. Five hundred dollars for a half court shot. Yeah, that's uh, it's got to be a little gotta, bit more. Than make that. It come a on, thousand, come on. At least. Again, shout out to St. Louis and Royal Banks on that one. By the way, is it crazy in the NBA? These teams have never won a championship. Nets, Hornets, Nuggets, Pacers. Clippers, Grizzlies, T-Wolves, Pelicans, Suns, Magic, Jazz. None of those teams have ever won a single championship. I would say, I mean... You have to go back to the 70s and 80s for yeah, Washington, I mean, Portland, Seattle. I was say, the, seven the, franchises for a while. There were, I mean, even with the Warriors run, I think, I think Toronto kind of broke it up. But I think mm-hmm. through the original Warriors run, I think it was seven or eight teams since the Bad Boys Pistons that was that had won every championship in the NBA. That's amazing. There, the, there the, the is, parody was lacking because Pistons, Bulls, Rockets, Spurs, Lakers. 
that eats it up until you get yeah. to the Celtics again. Like it's it's that's that six teams right there. Right. When you look Warriors. at the na- the teams you just named, I, I would say most of those are poorly ran organizations. Mm-hmm. I think the Clippers and Donald Sterling, you, you got that. That is the Hornets haven't been great. I mean, you know, even we love Michael Jeffrey Jordan, the basketball player, but uh, yeah, you not know, the front <laughs> office guy. No, uh, and then the Magic. They had that run there. If if Penny Hardaway and Shaq stay together, I think they are. They, well, they should have won. They could have won that year. They were still. They were young though. They're going to have some tough times. But after Jordan retired after that 90, 98 season, ninety seven, ninety eight, ninety eight, ninety nine season, whatever that was, um, that's a chance for them to start winning. If if that group had stayed yeah. together and stayed healthy, it's. It's funny you bring up that last season of Michael Jordan because my next story has to do with a game that was played in Michael Jordan's last season. So on March 27th, 1998, which was 11 That's games. my birthday. March, March 29th? 27th? Oh, sorry, sorry, March 29th, my bad. Oh, okay. I misread my March own handwriting. 27. March 29th, 1998. Mm-hmm. 11 games away from Michael Jordan's last regular season game before, and before he would then return a few years later. 62,046 people packed into the Georgia Dome to watch the Hawks play against the Bulls. And if you look at that roster, you have the Bulls team and you have Dikembe Mutombo. That's a lot of Hall of Famers Mm -hmm. you're watching that game for. Yesterday, the Spurs announced that they are going to beat that record when they host the Golden State Warriors in the Alamo Dome. They have already sold 63,592 tickets. They could have 68,000 with standing room only. Wow. The best player on the San Antonio Spurs... He's not there yet. Keldon Johnson. (laughs) He's not there yet. (laughs) And the Warriors are not the Warriors of this year. So I want to just point out, the Bulls team of that year, with the record they had, Mm -hmm. facing off against Dikembe Mutombo and the Hawks, the other highest highest attended game in NBA history was a uh, 1988 game between the Pistons and the Celtics. That game had over 35,000 people. This game will have double. In that game in 1998, here's who you got to see. Larry Bird, Danny Ainge, Kevin McHale, Dennis Johnson, Robert Parrish, Isaiah Thomas, Bill Lambeer, Joe Dumars, Adrian Dantley, and Rick Mahorn, and a young Dennis Rodman. That was the th- now be the third most attended NBA game in history, but it was going to be at number one will be a game between Keldon Johnson and Jeremy uh, <laughs> Jeremy Poole or, or uh, Jordan, Jordan, Poole. Jordan Poole. I cannot believe back. the absolute discrepancy between those two, number two and three now, and number one. Why would you go sit in the Alamo Dome to watch this Spurs team of To all set a teams? record. So he has to yeah. set a record. And get to see Steph and Clay but and Dre. Man, man, man Carrie, maybe, maybe you're right because I, I'm looking at these games. And maybe and I'm, I'm right. At, Hold I'm on. What, what, what are we referring to? I'm looking at these games and looking at these <laughs> box scores, and I see 1988, I see 1989, and then I see 1998. And just the. <sighs> it just seems to be a different. <laughs> Ryder, can we clip that? Can seems we get the clip of, of Rock saying, seems Terry, to be maybe you're right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there just seems to be a different As level it of to basketball. <laughs> when I'm reading through the box scores here. Have any of you heard of Jeremy Sohan? Oh. He's having a great season for the Spurs, but I don't think anyone listening has heard of Jeremy Sohan. He will be one of the players. He will essentially be in Rick Mahorn's spot for the most watched attended game in NBA history, and that just feels a little bit wrong. Well, you know. You got Michael Jeffrey Jordan and you got Steph Curry. What do you say? <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll give two, you guys two generational talents that change the yeah, game forever. Yeah. I'll give you guys this one, but <laughs> I do want to point out every player who ever played for George Carl does not like him. I just want to well, say that. They don't, they don't have to like him. 
He was a great. Yeah. He was the a great argument I need, Sean. <laughs> but also one of the few coaches in across all sports who has won a coach of the year and then gotten fired in the same offseason. Yeah, I, I don't think everybody that played for uh, Vince Lombardi liked him, but he won championships. Got a name and a trophy. He does. You don't have to like uh, me. George Carl didn't win any championships. No, he didn't. You think but everybody he, you know, that played for Red Auerbach loved him? I can't imagine if uh, I can't imagine he was the nicest person in the world. No, you don't have to be nice all the time, Rock. You can just be yourself. <laughs> they adapt. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> I'm not so sure that everybody even loves Mike Tomlin as much as we love him. I'm sure they don't. I'm sure there are players. Antonio Brown? Maybe not. (laughs) Well, Antonio might be feeling a little bit. He might be coming back to 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 reality. My goal right now is to get Sean Kemp on this on this station. So you guys can be like, do you uh do you agree with George Carl's opinion? So his reaction would be, I don't care what George Carl is talking about. I don't care about his opinion one bit. And you know and what? Then you're going to ask him the Jordan question about averaging 40 in, the, in today's game, well, and he'll agree with it. <laughs> but at least if you get Sean Kemp on the show, at least he's got the authenticity and the credibility because of all those rings he's bringing. Yeah. Oh, oh, wait. oh, hold on a second. Sorry, <laughs> got coached by George Carl for too long. Yeah, so did Boogie Cousins. Oh, Carmelo right. <laughs> Anthony. Yeah. Oh my goodness, it's all Chris Paul. Yeah. What's the common denominator among those guys? Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So thank you, Rod. You're real welcome, Randy. <laughs> Coming up, we're going to head down the stretch towards a balloon party with T-Mac and Ajax with What's on Tap here on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Of NFL media, Kevin Warren, former St. Louisan, he was a member of the Rams organization under Dick Vermeil, is officially leaving the commissionership of the Big Ten to take over the helm of the Chicago Bears. They seem to be going, trying, trending in the right direction as far as their front office is going, making good decisions, not uh, rash decisions. I think mm-hmm. they may be a team. I mean, they're going to have a, it's going to be a struggle for them in that NFC North, but they got a, they got a very good quarterback as long as they don't trade him. Mm-hmm. and go yeah. for a different one. Uh, and I think they're, they're, they're trending in the right direction, the Chicago Bears are. Kevin is a guy who does things the right way. Yeah. And he uh, is an impressive individual. He's a great leader. And he will do great things for the Bears. And I wonder if the whole COVID thing kind of soured him on being in ca- college athletics. Although he did everything that he needed to do, he's done with the Big Ten, right? He, he yeah. got the two schools in there, USC and UCLA, and he got the TV deal done. There's really nothing for him to do for the next 10 years. Well, no. I, I mean, I think it's pretty. they're pretty set as far as the Big Ten goes. I mean, obviously the scheduling is still – I think there are – I don't know if they're going to go to to no divisions uh, like the SEC has talked about. And, and I don't know if – you know, how the addition of UCLA and USC looks in the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be intriguing to see those teams – in in I guess Big Ten conference play, watching how that how that unfolds and, and watching how those teams when you got when you gotta travel from Rutgers to, to Los Angeles, how is that how is that <laughs> uh go for you and your team? Yeah. New Jersey. I mean, they're probably not gonna go well yeah. no, either way uh, if you're no, New Jersey, uh, but I mean Rutgers. One other note, and I, I need you to weigh in on this uh C D as a uh as a girl dad. So last night, Memphis, two grown-ups stole an autographed basketball from a young girl, 11 years old, 
And then they just ran out of the building. And she wants it back. She was crying on TV and just devastated that this autographed basketball that she got from the Grizzlies was stolen by a couple of grown-ups. Randy, do you know if if that happened? I mean, I, I don't condone violence in any any form or fashion, mm-hmm. but if they're running and I'm sitting, I'm tripping. I'm just going <laughs> to stick my leg out. And if you fall, good for you. Uh-huh. <laughs> you should probably be tripped as you're trying to run out of the stadium stealing a, a, a ball from a young, young fan. I saw that happen. Kyrie Irving actually threw his jersey into the stands. I forget who they were playing a couple of nights ago. He was throwing it to a young girl who had a Kyrie jersey on. And a, a, another fan for the opposing team jumped in front of her and snatched it, and, and they cut away. But he was trying to tell that fan, "Hey, no, that's for her. Give it back." And I don't know what happened. I don't know what came of that. But you know, fans are there are some jerks Weird. in yeah, the world, bad. adult jerks that that do terrible things when it comes to to fandom and sports. And I would hope that Ellie Hughes. I'm sure that the Grizzlies will get her another basketball, but uh, I hope the people that stole it get caught, and I hope that the— You kick uh, them out for life. You can't even come back, no, can you? No, and then I hope the value of the basketball is placed yeah. at a point where it's a felony and these guys wind up in jail there you go. and have to play the prison game a little bit. <laughs> John Moran has reached out and given her his game-worn jersey from that game, and he's also given her a pair of his new shoes, which haven't been released yet. But I do hope the Grizzlies do kind of reach out because— I didn't. I didn't realize this wrinkle. She had been get, collecting signatures on the ball for the last six years. Wow! wow. So there's a lot of Memphis Grizzlies over wow. the years, and I think if you're if you're an NBA team, you have the wherewithal to put together a little thing to maybe get the ball sent around to some of the players yeah. who have been on your team yep. and get some of the signatures that she would have gotten. Well, back she's on had ball that ball and get for it to a long her. time. Six yeah. years, she's been coming to games yeah. and getting different signatures. I hope the Grizzlies maybe do put something together in addition to what Ja already did. No That's doubt, absolutely crazy. It is. Hey, let me get the latest on, and this will be the final, from our Twitter poll, which was uh, if, when Trevor Bauer clears waivers, uh, what would you think of the Cardinals signing him? Would you want the Cardinals to sign him? That was uh, the question. And we got a lot of response here. Let me get uh, to the the end of this. Uh, The fact that... uh, we got so many votes tells you what a hot button issue it is, right? Total votes for this 8,930 and 51.9% say no, they wouldn't want to sign Trevor Bauer. 48.1% say yes, they would. And we appreciate your numerous mic drops this morning. It was great to hear from you on that. And it's interesting because our mic drops were about 50-50 as well. Yep, it was. And and like I said, it's a hot button topic, uh, a tough Thing to, to decide which way is the right way. Um, and I don't. I personally don't think that's a decision that the Cardinals will make to go nope. in that direction. As I said at the top of the show, if you didn't hear it, the juice is not worth there the squeeze. Go. Great job today by our producer engineer, the one, the only Matthew Rocchio. Pleasure. CD? My mom, There we go. Hey. Hey, you can hear anything from this show on our 101 ESPN app or at 101ESPN.com. And those podcasts brought to you by Dobbs Tire and Auto Center. For all of us, we thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. Till tomorrow morning at 7, have a great day, St. Louis. That's right. You've been listening to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN and ESPN.com. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers.